1: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. Now, because this is one of those special weeks where we are discussing a movie that is new in cinemas, we will be skipping past our comic book movie and TV news. And what we'll start off with is a spoiler-free discussion of... Captain America Civil War, and then we'll clearly mark where we are stopping the spoiler-free chat. We'll have a little a little gap for anyone who hasn't seen it yet to escape, and then we will dive in with spoilers for what's normally a solid 90 minutes um, of terrifying, <laughs> in-depth, nerdy comic book chat. But before any of that, guys, I want you to explain a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And Minnesota listeners will already know what this question is because this relates to the exciting Nathan Fillion news. So guys, he's going to be, maybe, (laughs) in some capacity in Guardians of the Galaxy. Who is Wonder Man? Oh man, I meant to look this up after you mentioned it on the mini <laughs> <and> I forgot. <laughs> so I feel like I've heard little things about him.
2: <laughs> you have read a comic with Wonder Man in.
1: Is that was that the was that the the, the one that you recommended on the Agent Carter episode? The like uh, the Marvels project? Or no,
2: no, no, no. It, was, it wasn't. When did I recommend Avengers Assemble? The Kirk music.
1: Oh, was that the was that the Ultron one? Yes, that was right. no, an Age, Age of Ultron episode. I imagine.
2: Yeah, so I'm fairly sure did I did I give you the first volume? No, it would have been later on. I'm fairly sure Wonder Man was in those comics. He was definitely in that run. She was he was in a relation relationship with the Scarlet Witch at the time.
1: Oh, yeah, that that's ringing a bell. That yeah, that is ringing a bell. Kind
2: of blue and floaty.
1: So originally his mind is the pattern for Ultra no, for Vision, right? Yep. That's correct. And he's a movie star?
2: Yeah, he quit superheroics to become a movie star.
1: And then does he go back to superheroics, or is he always just a movie star from then on in?
2: No, he goes back sometimes like that. Like, I'm not massively familiar with the Avengers sort of pre-90s, but I think it was a 70s thing that he was a movie star, and then he went back to being a superhero sort of later on.
1: And does he have powers when he's a superhero?
2: Yeah, what are his powers? He's kind of got this sort of ionic form... Uh, that gives him super strength and the ability to fly and maybe shoot energy beams and stuff. It's so one are those sort of generic 70s power sense?
3: The only thing that I mainly remember about him is, um, having not really read many actual stories with him in, um, is that he's the source of one of those amusing disputes over trademarks that happen from time to time. Because <laughs> um, he was originally introduced in the 60s um, when it was still um, Stan Lee doing Avengers um, as an Avengers villain. Um, and then basically DC found out that Marvel had put out a character called Wonder Man and they went uh hello we've got wonder woman um and i don't know if they actually got as far as suing them but they certainly suggested that it would be in marvel's best legal interests not to publish wonder man anymore um so they got rid <laughs> not of Not just character. not just
2: legal interest creative interest <laughs> as well.
3: <laughs> well yeah um but then in the mid 70s um dc created power girl which i think wasn't too long after power man When did Luke Cage first show up? Ah, that Um, was
2: definitely 70s.
3: Yeah, but, um, I mean, Power Girl was definitely after Power Man. And, I mean, this could just be Stan Lee doing his usual interview anecdote thing and and making up something that sounds like a fun story. (laughs) But according to Stan Lee, he was so annoyed at DC coming out with Power Girl so soon after Power Man that he resolved to bring back Wonder Man. Right, okay.
1: (laughs) And so, is he... Is he a goofy character? Because it seems like, you know, if you're casting Nathan Fillion, you're probably you're probably doing something
3: goofy with him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I've never really seen him be goofy. He's always seemed annoyingly serious. I think that's why I've never really paid attention yeah, to him. Yeah, like, he's not that
2: interesting, really. I mean, there was a... Brian Bendis did a thing with him recently where he decided he was going to be a kind of anti-Avengers pacifist. And that was an interesting take on the character, but it's also the only interesting thing that's been done with him since he was invented, as far as I can remember.
3: Right. It, it sounds to me like this Nathan Fillion thing is going to be him being Simon Williams, the actor, and that Simon Williams will be an actor who plays various superheroes in movies within the Marvel Universe. But yeah, so I, I think I don't think he's, he's going to be Wonder Man at all. I think it's just going to be that that it's an Easter egg and it's Simon Williams as, yeah. you know, all these mm. on all these. Yeah, exposure. I don't think
2: I don't think Wonder Man's going to make the MCU list for a while.
1: No, it's probably just one of those fun Marvel things, though, isn't it? Like, you know, maybe Nathan Fillion can get ropes into an episode of Agents of Shield where he is this, <laughs> you know, goofy actor who. Has played Tony Stark in a movie, and I don't know. Maybe he's got some information about the Avengers that he dug up in his research or something. Or you know, whether like just further down the line, there is a reason to bring him in. What I want to know, though. So this is the this is the really interesting thing from those set photos is that one of the one of the films that Nathan Fillion's character is in is a Tony Stark biopic. (laughs) Which, first of all, is just a fantastic in-universe thing for the MCU. But also, it hints at some present-day stuff in Guardians of the Galaxy on Earth. So what do you reckon post-credit sequence? Quill get into Earth? Yeah,
2: good point, good point.
1: Mm. Because... It's not a flashback if there's a Tony Stark movie. It has to be fairly current. It's not going to be young Peter Quill, is it? What what Um, you're saying is it's
3: not going to be a scene set before Quill leaves Earth in the 80s. It's it's got to be... If it's on Earth, it's it's present day or recent Earth. Mm. So someone in the film somewhere is going to be on modern Earth at some point. So the question is, who is that and in what context?
1: Mm. Um, By the way, I I was looking at...
3: You know, after watching Civil War, looking at the movies that are coming up in Phase
1: three, and you know when they come out and stuff and man, this time next year we're going to get a Guardians of the Galaxy film and a spider man solo movie within, within <laughs> about two months of each other
2: Wow
1: <laughs> oh, i don't think and I, I don't think it gets better than that at any point in the obviously we can be surprised, but in terms of pure anticipation, yeah. Guardians Volume Two and spider man homecoming which might be a bit of a spoiler about what we thought about Spider-Man in this movie but <laughs> I don't man think alive. Secret, really <laughs> Nah, have you seen anyone go, oh, it's just a civil war really disappointed by Spider-Man I don't want to see any more of that guy bring back Andrew Garfield those Twitter accounts have gone a bit quiet
3: recently haven't they were there they, they bring back Andrew Garfield Twitter accounts oh yeah, yeah, no lots of lots of people really mourning his loss so it's, um, it's, it's the present day equivalent of Daniel Craig is not Bond then <laughs> I don't think anyone was annoyed
1: about Tom Holland being cast just mostly because no one knew who he was. Yeah. So, yeah, it was more just it was more just sad about Andrew Garfield. But let's be honest, at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2, we lost the best thing about Andrew Garfield to Spider-Man, which was his chemistry with Emma Stone. So, <laughs> yeah, we probably we probably lost that universe at just the right time. No, I think I think the right time would have been before Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> <played it.
0: laughs>
1: But then we'd have never got this. We'd have never got a homecoming. Shall we Should we move on now to some civil war? Yeah Oh I yeah. suppose why not? Yeah. Okay, so we should we should probably tee up how we all saw it because I think originally in this spoiler free section that we're moving into now, um, for me at least I feel like the context in which I watched it was um, perhaps crucial. I went to a midnight screening on Thursday night when it was released in the UK. So Thursday at midnight, moving into Friday. Um, And that was the third part of a Captain America triple bill. So I watched the first Avenger, the Winter Soldier and Civil War back to back. Um, And I came out feeling um, a little bit disappointed, Um, especially after seeing all the five star reviews and the best Marvel movie ever. And it's got the best Marvel action sequence in it. And I came away thinking, I don't agree with any of those things. So I went and watched the movie again, not in a triple bill, and I liked it a little bit more. And um, I've still got a few things that are, that I think I, I still don't think it's the best Marvel movie, and I um, I think it might even be my least favourite Captain America movie. And I will, you know. Teed that up by saying, uh, you know, I love the first Captain America movie a lot, like more than most people do. So that might be the reason why there. So I I felt like it slightly didn't meet my expectations. But what about you guys? Were your expectations
3: met? Exceeded? Can, can I just say that I, um, I I think it's interesting that with the last two new releases, you've been working really hard to destroy this perception that on this podcast, James, the <laughs> ones who pull
4: scorn buckets on everything.
3: Uh, I've just been...
1: What I've been doing is I've been, I've been saving up my buckets of scorn. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think maybe, maybe I'm coloured a lot by expectations. But then I had low expectations for Batman v Superman and high expectations for this. And both times I felt like my expectations were not met.
2: <laughs> like I I saw a critic screening, like, what, probably two weeks ago by the time anyone hears this.
1: I swore you to silence, didn't I, James?
2: Yeah, you were like, don't even tell me what you think. So I, I've had
1: two weeks, basically, of enforced silence about this movie. Because I remember when you saw Rage of Ultron and you were, uh, you were disappointed by that. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't want to know that. Because, like, I, <laughs> you know, kind of like... Uh, when you read a critic's opinion that's fine but like you know i i kind of can tell what your opinion is reflective
3: of a lot of the time <laughs> <laughs> to uh, yeah, you you you, about so many superhero movies. You had no such qualms because you saw it before I did. You had no such qualms about pouring cold water on my anticipation <laughs> by telling me how much you disliked it compared to the reviews. And I, and I had been built up to fever pitch by the reviews. Having, I mean, not seen it at the press screenings, I knew that I knew what James thought. Um, but the the reviews had been so huge, and and the specific things that got described by the reviews, I was just i couldn't i had a couple of days where i couldn't cope with the anticipation and then <laughs> kind of cooled off a bit um, yeah, see, Carly, I, I as didn't, a result of what you said Josh. i what? didn't actually
2: read any reviews i just saw everyone going oh my god the reviews are amazing and i was like i'm gonna keep myself fresh like i'm you know i'm gonna go in cold and i went in and i was sort of waiting for the moment where i got really sort of pumped up and it just never happened <laughs> Like maybe okay, it did happen when when they got the Spider Man bit. I was like, it's fucking Spider Man. But other than that, I was just a bit. Eh, it's maybe the next bit's the good bit. Like I didn't hate it. It's like it's solidly sort of halfway up my MCU rankings.
3: I th- I think you guys are just trying to dispel the notion that we're on Disney's payroll <laughs> after, after Batman V. Super. Yeah,
2: the check hasn't cleared. That's why.
3: <laughs> um, I I definitely come out on it more favourable than both of you, but. At the same time, not as favourable as all the five-star reviews saying it's the best Marvel film. Because it's not the best Marvel film. Um, but it's it's way up in the top half, I think. Um, not sure if it's as good as Winter Soldier, but... There were there were enough just moments of kind of well it alternated for me between moments of complete joy and moments of extreme emotional despair and I think I mean Joe you, I know you love the Cap films as well but I I I feel like I'm out of us the one who's maybe the most emotionally invested in the Steve Rogers story and the kind of ongoing story with him and so you know there was a lot but I don't then know. we were, can
1: we can have a fight about that so. yeah
3: but then there were <laughs> other things to do with other characters that really got at me as well and and some some of which i didn't expect to um it's fair to say that nothing else in the film matches the moment when you, when that caption and this isn't too much of a spoiler but when a caption flashes up with the word queens and and the 10 minutes that immediately follow that i mean <laughs> like that that could be that is right up there among my favorite sequences in and it's not even an action sequence it's 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 a a conversation sequence that mostly 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 happens in a in a bedroom Mm. (laughs) and it's it's absolutely one of the greatest things the mcu has done so far it's you know it's up there with the opening credits of guardians of the galaxy (laughs) and the (laughs) long tracking shot in the first avengers film Mm. um nothing else quite lived up to that and I, I was on the verge of exploding with joy at that point but <laughs> um there's a there's a lot that's great in it. it 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 potentially has some structural problems but i think it does some really interesting stuff we'll get in with the spoiler stuff i think there's some really great um i think it wrong foots you really cleverly on quite a few different occasions relating yeah. to a few different things uh, yeah no i, just, I mean I, I really really enjoyed it, it, it it's definitely not the highest point of these films but as a fan of these films it delivered most of what I would have hoped for I think probably just one other thing I will say is that I think this more than any other is the film that completely puts to bed the idea that these films can work as standalone <laughs> movies some of them can like guardians does for example but you know this is a film aimed at people who have followed all of these films up to this point and want the next chapter in an ongoing narrative yeah that's i can't what it is
2: i can't remember if they actually say ant-man at any point during the film <laughs> but yeah. like they don't, if they don't if they do sorry they don't give you a lot of time to process like here's ant-man and this is what he does they, I mean, just like even, he turns I mean, up, and you're expected to know.
3: Yeah, and but even at the start, even the you know the villain in the early scenes, there's no mm-hmm. context. I mean, there is a late on in his bit, there is a bit of context as to who he is, but you're expected to hit the ground running and know exactly who every one of these. Right,
2: at the very are. least, you're expected to be familiar with the Winter Soldier, because like, admittedly, yeah, 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 yeah. I I haven't seen I Winter Soldier for fair, a while.
1: Though. I think it's fair that you at least. I think it it perhaps is unfair to make the leaps and go look. You've seen every film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or you've seen every film that features Captain America. But I think at the very least they are treating audiences with the assumption that they have watched the Captain America movies.
2: Oh, yeah, but, like, I I have seen the Captain America movies and when, when he goes, like, oh, you drop a building on me and this is what I look like, I was like... What? <laughs> like See, I just—I I I was didn't... like
1: I watched that ten minutes ago. I, I remember didn't remember. <laughs>
2: I didn't remember how he like how he got to that situation.
1: He was in the um, the triskelion and he was fighting Falcon. And Falcon j- dived out of a window and was caught by Cap, uh, not by Cap, by I think Nick Fury uh, in his helicopter. Um, and uh, the building continued to collapse and crossbones was left inside. Okay. So the building, yeah, fell on his face. (laughs) The thing that that frustrates me, and this is on a personal level, is I kind of like the way that they do, they balance that kind of stuff of, you know, here are characters from movies you haven't seen, and we're just going to kind of throw them in and they'll make sense. Like, I don't feel like you need to have seen Ant-Man to get, Paul Rudd's bits in this movie, you know, it, he he, no, he makes yeah. sense in isolation. It is and obviously even there's, a, there's a moment
3: with um one of his gadgets from the, um, the film Ant Man, and it is a he explains what it does before it does it, and I think mm. that was that was a neat little touch of. Oh, by the way, if you haven't seen Ant Man, here's who this guy is, and here's what he does, and here's how his stuff works. I thought that was you know,
1: yeah. I actually mm-hmm. come at things from the opposite the opposite perspective though as someone who is and this was this was a problem I felt in the winter soldier where you are building this mystery around who the winter soldier is and first if you've got any comics knowledge obviously you know but I guess that's like you know if you're watching game of thrones and you've read the books then you know it's not a surprise but it, it was more for me like well you know, I know who Sebastian Stan is, and he was in the last movie in this franchise. Ah, uh, but
3: there were an awful lot of people watching that film well, who didn't know who he was, and I was surprised to discover that that was the case. But yeah, they really are a exactly, lot of- and
1: that's and that's
3: fine. I this is
1: a personal gripe for me. That's annoying, and there is a device that runs through Civil War. Um, it's a flashback scene which is revisited on a number of occasions, and <laughs> yeah. the very first time it shows up. I knew exactly what I was watching, yeah. but it was treated as a, a as, as a mystery for a solid yeah two and a quarter hours of the movie that assumes you don't know what's going on there. And mm. for me, I, and it's such a difficult job for the screenwriters and for the you know the filmmakers to pull off. To You know, service both audiences, and it's you know, it's only slightly frustrating. You know, I can deal with the fact that I knew exactly what I was watching because it's something that I'd even speculated would be key to this movie.
3: (laughs) Can Um, I can I I just a brief counter to that though? I think to the film's credit, I think it does a good job of playing with your expectations if you do know that because it it shows the flashback the first time, and I thought, oh, I know what's going to happen here, and I know what we're about to see, and then we didn't see it. And I went, okay, maybe it wasn't. And then it shows up again <laughs> later in the film, and once again, it doesn't show what you think you're going to see. And so I'm like, okay. I mean, I still think this is going to be the case, but I find it quite interesting that it's not because we're so late in the film that I would have thought this would have been shown to us earlier if it was going to be the case. And then it does. So I think I kind of think the film played with the expectations of that quite well.
2: Can I can I just make a point that? podcast friend abigail brady made to me which is that in the winter soldier they show a newspaper clipping which basically confirms that that happened anyway (laughs) so like it's in canon already it was in canon before the start of this film
3: it implies it but it doesn't confirm it
2: but yeah i think if you if you have any knowledge of the second film and the mcu generally you're gonna know it yeah So I think, and even just structurally, like, cutting straight from that flashback sequence to the next sequence, like, there's just no ambiguity there as far as I'm concerned.
1: So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that I really enjoyed about this were, so I, I liked lots of the individual moments, um... I felt like the film, there isn't a 10-20 minute lull anywhere where you're like, oh that part's slightly dodgy. There isn't a weak third act. It doesn't collapse under its own weight in the last 20 minutes like a lot of superhero movies I want to do. I thought the tone was fantastically consistent start to finish. I thought the conflict was well balanced. I thought the villain was handled very very delicately but kind of Perfectly throughout the film, which was something I actually was a little bit confused about his motivations or didn't quite buy certain aspects of his plan on a first watch. On a second watch,
3: it kind of all comes together, so I'm completely fine about that. I mean, it's it's when when I talk about like wrong footing that goes on, it's almost all to do with the villain, and Mm. and it's some of the stuff that I ended up completely against expectations. It's some of the stuff I ended up enjoying the most. Daniel Bruhl is fantastic. Oh yeah. I
1: mean he was he's, great yeah. in that biopic about our co-host Seb. I yeah, don't know if you really remember that. He was, he <laughs> he was, he was our was... co-host's rival.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I actually I actually interviewed him for that. For oh did you? He's yeah, he's a lovely and charming man as yeah. well, as well as being a fine actor. He's yeah. he's just got one of those kind of like just really
1: interesting faces. You mm. you kind of just don't don't want to take your eyes off him. But yeah, I would actually say I come away from this film going he is easily in my top three. Marvel villains um, and I'm, I'm surprised about that because I kind of assumed that he would be a bit of an afterthought in this movie yeah. given everything else that's going on and you know the really impressive thing is that he kind of is but also he's woven into the entire fabric of the movie and the conflict that it, it really pays off in the final act well it's
2: it's kind of interesting to contrast his role in this with um, Lex Luthor's in Batman v Superman. Because...
1: <laughs> yeah. We're not, you're not allowed to comp- compare those two movies. <laughs> the internet doesn't allow it.
2: Yeah, completely different. <laughs> not I mean, entirely yeah, sh- dissimilar.
1: Yeah, sure, there are two superhero movies where the two superheroes <laughs> take different sides <laughs> and fight and, you know, they only came out a couple of months apart, but they're doing it from entirely different positions and standpoints, so it's really interesting to compare
3: and contrast them, but you're not allowed to. <laughs> so, done. And, and neither film deals with the aftermath of an event in which people died as collateral damage during a superhero
1: <laughs> fight. So, I, I mean, I guess I, I've said a, a lot of positive stuff there, so I should probably point to the big things that, for me, uh, held me back from really enjoying this film, and... I mean, I think what it comes down to is and this was so clearly marred by me deciding to watch this in a triple bill but it is it is just ridiculously evident watching these three films back to back that Captain America, Steve Rogers as a character gets a fraction of the attention in this film that he does in The Winter Soldier and The First Avenger and in fact, you know, he, he, he it's kind of like a steady reduction as the as the films have gone on and i'm not, i haven't really seen that i haven't seen a lot of people saying oh steve rogers doesn't get attention here but there's you know there's you talked about the sequence that introduces spider-man in the middle there's that followed by kind of some uh which is very close to the big action scene in the movie and i felt for half an hour that i wasn't really seeing captain america or when i was seeing him he was fighting. He wasn't talking. It was it was either action or he wasn't there, and
3: it was it was a real issue for me. It was a real big issue for me. I mean, there's a couple of things here. Firstly, I think I mean, and I'm, I'm loath to say this because you've seen it twice, um, but you know there are. I think you're, you you bar maybe. Not missing, but you know, there are definitely sequences that are character sequences for him and that move on his character in some ways. Um, you know, Oh it's not I devoid mean, of them, but it's just yeah.
1: it's just compared to the other two, there aren't lulls in the other films where Steve Rogers takes
3: a step back and there are regular lulls in this movie <laughs> well, no, that he does. There there aren't, but that's but that's I mean I don't know whether to call this a problem, but I would say that uh, a, a facet of this film, or an aspect of this film, or characteristic of this film maybe, is the fact that it feels very much to me like two films glued together. Now, it's to its credit that it that doesn't do that in a ruinous way, mm. but it does rather feel to me like you've got two films here. You've got the sequel to The Winter Soldier, and you've got the sequel to Age of Ultron and i mean you've actually, actually got a film that the film... should have been
1: called the winter soldier rather than the yeah. second one
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they um i think it does a reasonably decent job as far as the plot goes of stitching those two films together um but as far as tone goes i think it does veer between them a bit and basically you've got all the scenes where you've got all of the other characters and then you've got the stuff that focuses on cap and bucky and sharon um and I think in, in the stuff that focuses on Cap and Bucky and Sharon, you, you do get some really good stuff with Cap. It's just that a lot of the big, memorable stuff comes in the Avengers half of the film, and it's the, that's the stuff that people are going to take away from. I
1: don't think it's even um, half of the film. Um, I think it's, it is mostly a Captain America film, but even when it's a Captain America film... So here's the thing. When the movie was but, coming out, we were saying, is it going to be Captain America 3 or is it going to be Avengers 2.5? And it turns out to be both. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, but does I, would it? Say, I, I would almost say it's neither because it. it you kind of coming away. You come away from it feeling like, well, that wasn't quite a Captain America movie. It wasn't quite an Avengers movie. I would say almost in comic book terms. You know, say I'm reading the main Captain America comic. That's and, and I read an arc of the comic, and that's a Captain America arc. And I'm reading Avengers at the same time and Steve Rogers is a a character in Avengers and that series is um, an Avengers movie that Steve Rogers is in. Now, if I am doing this movie in comic book form, I wouldn't put it on the end of the Steve Rogers Captain America comic. I wouldn't put it on the Avengers. It would be a separate little mini series. It's, it feels like its own
3: little thing just <laughs> you, off to the side. It, it, it what it would maybe, be. just been called Marvel Civil War rather than Captain America yes, Civil War or Avengers yeah, Civil War. Yes. If it was in the um,
2: comics, it would have <laughs> been a crossover between Avengers and Captain America. It would have like, alternated. Maybe four chapters. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like um, it, it cracked me up, actually, that it, they were saying in the promotional stuff, like, this isn't an Avengers film, and yet the opening sequence, like, for a start. the first two major scenes are Tony Stark related and then it moves in straight to a big Avengers sequence.
3: But I would say the big Avengers sequence and this is something I found quite interesting. I mean, it's it's a sequence with that Avengers team. But one of the things that that scene did for me, I think, was it marked out this is a Captain America movie because oh, uh, it's, it does... it's an opening sequence where they're going in and doing a mission in a very militaristic fashion, and also not being afraid to kill people. Which is <laughs> always, it's like it's kind of a feature of the Captain America stuff. Is Captain America is a soldier, and it reminded me of the opening sequence in Winter Soldier on the ship, in that it was this precise military operation. And if it was the opening of an Avengers film, it would not have played out in the same way. I think. I think. Tonally, that scene to me felt very consciously, we are in a Captain America film, not we are in a big light Avengers w- film.
2: One thing I will say about this film's treatment of Captain America generally is that it does, like, again, it's something that when I interviewed the Russos, they pointed this out, which is that it it treats Captain America as the patriarch of superheroes. And I think if you look at it through that lens, it becomes more of a Captain America Mm. film because you can see how the Avengers sequences relate to him specifically.
3: and, And actually, this is why I would also sort of counter what Joe said about it, maybe not giving you enough Cap stuff, is that I'm not sure how much it needed to do it because I think one of the things that makes this movie version of cap so great is that he has become kind of the anchor of these films and he's the character that you can rely on and he's the character who you know what he'll do in a lot of given situations. that doesn't necessarily make him boring i quite the opposite i mean I've, I've talked and written at length about how much i love this version of cap and one of the things that i love about him is that um you know you can put him in these situations and he's a reliable and he's a constant and for that reason i think i think it's 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 that's the reason why the film needs to go and look at these other characters where you don't necessarily know how they're going to react to something but he's kind of he's the heart at the center of it he's absolutely the heart of this entire series of movies and so i don't worry if the film if the films don't bother to spend too much time exploring him further, although I do think that this film does, particularly the stuff that it does with Sharon, maybe not enough screen time, and a particular early sequence, which I won't talk about now, because I don't want to spoiler it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the least action sequence in the entire film. Um, you know, it, the film does take a kind of contemplative break about half an hour in for, for a specific thing to happen, and I think that is, you know, an important moment in, in Steve's character development.
1: Yeah, you see, I I, I think my the problem on top of the less Cap for me was also feeling like in this Captain America film the weakest stuff was always the Cap stuff and I I, I guess we're probably just going to disagree because this is the way we watch the film but I kind of felt like in this film Cap was... uh, he felt less like his kind of earnest Boy Scout that I loved in all the previous movies and I just felt that he felt a little bit more dour and I thought, like, performance-wise, for the first time, Chris Evans was blown away by what Robert Downey Jr. was doing. I didn't think I would come out of this movie saying I'm hashtag Team Iron Man, because I don't really care. But actually, I, I, I probably did relate with that character more. Um, I think, for me, it has something to do with not particularly buying Sebastian Stan's Winter Soldier, and so that kind of undercuts the motivations for Cap.
3: But See, also... I, I, I-
1: I just oh, sorry. sorry, I I could just never cling on to Cap in this movie the way I had in previous films, and I flat out disliked a lot of the early stuff that they did with the character, um, which we'll get into in spoiler <laughs> form.
2: Yeah, I mean, just just since but you I, brought it up, I I agree with you in that sense that I came out of the film, like, I went in not really caring, and I came out thinking eh, it's probably on Tony Stark's side in that film. <laughs>
3: Which is weird, because I came out thinking, how could anybody possibly be on Tony Stark's side? <laughs> but, um... I mean, just one thing, actually, i uh, d- d- was where I was sort of slightly interrupting you, sorry, but, um... This is the first one of the films where I thought Sebastian Stan was any good at all. <laughs> I, think he, I think the character was finally given material and he finally actually did something. Uh, actually, even... I, I, I really got on with Bucky in this film. Um, I thought his performance actually had g- a little bit of, of nuance. to Give just us two g- two, car-
2: just two oh, character point. traits, yeah. Give us two character traits of Bucky.
3: Um, any two. Confused and violent. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) Yeah. Miserable.
1: I
2: think point proven.
1: (laughs) I'd love to see him have a conversation in Infinity War with Drax. Just to see how those two characters, what those two characters make of each other. Like,
2: I, th- in fairness, I don't think Sebastian Stan is bad. I just think the character is bad.
1: I uh, see. I, I might go Actually, I, I think that character could be real. Uh, certainly, the the relationship between Steve and Bucky. Well, you only um, need to read Baker's
3: comics to know how good that character can be and and how interesting he can be. I've read him <laughs> on the
1: page for the first time uh, in in the last couple of months in the Avengers standoff crossover, and he's not in it a huge
3: amount. But I did think. Oh, pretty cool. Um, well, the problem is because we because we haven't got to Winter Soldier yet. We haven't been able to recommend you Winter Soldier yet. <laughs> so uh,
2: hang on, hold on.
3: Get to
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no spoilers, but hold on. <laughs> um,
1: I, I will. I will just. I think we'll probably draw this um, spoiler-free discussion to a close soon, so we because can I, think, really... I think we're
3: busted to be specific yeah. about things. Um, I just
1: the the kind of the last thing that I think held this film back for me was we in terms of the civil war we have two things that are driving that civil war forward one is the sokovia Records, and obviously this, this is all in the trailer um and the other is bucky um and his you know his kind of enemy of the state status um and so the way that the characters view bucky and the winter soldier in the film causes them to clash as does the sokovia Records stuff and I actually think that's great because you've got an intellectual and an emotional arc to run through the movie in terms of that conflict. Um, and it comes to my head really well, but I felt that it dropped the intellectual side of things fairly swiftly and just focused on the emotional stuff. Like, I don't feel like I came away with any sense of resolution or even any sense of... Where the characters were at the end of the movie in regards to the Sakharov Records, um, well, I, to, to I, that whole thing, I kind of—I a... felt like it was real surface level. I thought that I felt like it could have dug deep into the the political ideological ramifications of
3: that, and it never did. One thing that I do think, at least, this film does, again, without kind of spoiling too much. I mean, it struggles really to, you know it doesn't really get in on the intellectual. It doesn't really get into, like, for example, I'm not sure anyone really changes their mind on the question of the accords over the course of the film. But the film does at least, I think reasonably well, present this as a genuine conflict, as in there are two sides Mm -hmm. and neither one is necessarily right. I think it establishes it fantastically, it just doesn't explore it. But at least that is an improvement on the comic because i believe that in the comic mark miller genuinely believes that he's doing that and presenting it as an argument where either side could be correct actually reading the comic and as it comes across there is no sense in the comic that tony stark is ever in any way correct but (laughs) i I believe he's supposed to be Mm -hmm. it just doesn't come off in the comic at all and it's one of the reasons why the comic is such a failure on most conceivable levels.
1: But you see, I was thinking early on this in this film when they're talking about the accords, when they're starting to have a bit of a discussion and an argument about you know t- starting to reveal which side they're going to fall down on. They're talking about how the, the accords they're going to be re- accountable to the UN and that people, real people, have agendas and how can you ever trust what those agendas are going to be? Um, and I thought it would just be interesting if you know if like they'd have talked about you know like what if we get asked to intervene in a conflict where we're not sure who the, you know, who the right side right. is, because that was something that the Winter Soldier does fantastically, which is that in the present day, the sides of good and evil aren't quite as clear, and that's why it's so hard for Captain America to get a handle on the real world, and he, there's that I mean, sense that, of that relief at the end in, of... Um... Yeah, the end of the Winter Soldier, when he says, oh, I'm just happy to know who the good guys and the bad guys are now. <laughs> and... You know, I thought it would be interesting if they said, yeah, what if we get asked to intervene? And then someone on the other side says, well, what if you decide to intervene and you pick the wrong side? And it just... I just wanted some of that. I wanted some real-world ramifications. I wanted Shades of Grey other than just, this is the side I've picked, this is the side I've picked, and now we are on those sides. I
2: think the texture of the MCU has fundamentally changed in that way and that this exploration will happen in future movies.
1: That's very possible as well. In which case Civil War should be the name of a future movie and this should have been called <laughs> the Winter Soldier and the Winter well, Soldier I... should have been called I don't know Hail Hydra. Sh- Shield Wars, yeah.
2: I said at the time when Winter Soldier came out like this the next movie should have been called Winter Soldier and yeah. I think i am vindicated yeah. by that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well guys, I think the listeners probably know where we stand and, um, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've gone into, we've gone into some stuff there, but I think, um, a lot of fun here is going to be had digging into the actual specifics of the whole thing. So, shall we take a little pause to listen to the trailer for the movie? That should be a good, a good place for people to jump out. And then we'll come back and spoil the hell out of every little detail of this film.
4: This job, we try to save as many people as we can. Sometimes that doesn't mean everybody. But you don't give up.
0: New York. Washington, D.C. Sokovia Okay, that's enough Captain,
4: people are afraid That's why
0: I'm here We need to be put in check Whatever form that takes, I'm game I'm sorry, Tony If I see a situation pointed south, I can't ignore it Sometimes I wish I could Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I know we're not perfect.
4: But the safest hands are still our own.
0: to watch their back this doesn't have to end in a fight tony
4: you just started a war
2: stay down final warning
0: i could do this all day
2: I've run out of patience.
3: Underroos! Hey,
1: everyone. Okay, so that was the trailer for Captain America Civil War. Um, so this is deep, deep spoiler discussion now. Um, and I think we'll probably mostly work through the film chronologically... If we don't skip to a certain sequence first, Seb is going to burst. <laughs> Seb, tell us about Spider Man.
3: So, uh, there's at the point in the film at which uh, Tony says, "You know, uh, oh, so like, wait, where's your guy or whatever," and it cuts to. Uh, the shot of Queens and the caption Queens, and I'm convinced that all of the location captions in the film were only done so that they could do that one that says <laughs> Queens.
1: I really liked. It, sorry, this is boring. I really liked the caption things. The London, the the
3: London shot was fantastic. Like, I, really dark stormy over London. Yeah, it was an unnecessary was caption to caption it as London, but yeah. Well, I kind <laughs> of
2: I was thinking, do you reckon those captions were in there and so large just because that film is all over the place and they were like, we really have to make it clear where people are.
3: Well, it gets confusing when Bucky is in Romania, but the German police come after him. But yeah. that's that's a whole <laughs> other thing. Um, but, yeah, so that caption comes up, Queens, and then you see a nerdy kid walking down a corridor and you don't even see his face. And in the cinema that I was in, I heard an excited voice say... That Spider Man, and the most and surprising that was yours. Well, no, the most surprising <laughs> thing was that that voice was not mine, because that was exactly what I was feeling at that particular moment. Seb, it was your conscience. You hadn't, <laughs> yeah. you hadn't spoken in a while. No, it wasn't. The, the worst thing was, it was, it was, a, it was a little, little, little boy who I then saw going out of the film, yammering excitedly to his dad about Spider Man, and he left before the second post-credit scene, so he oh. didn't get to see it, and I felt really bad for him. Um, but no, it's... And just, you know, from that point on, just those, those ten minutes or however long that scene is. I mean, if anything, I don't know what you guys think, but I actually enjoyed the Peter Parker scene more than I enjoyed all of the stuff with Spider-Man in costume. Yep. Um because i mean that stuff was great as well don't get me wrong it was terrific and it was great fun and it was lively but it was also we've seen really great spider-man stuff in costume in films before but i think and um, you know we have discussed two spider-man films there is an argument to be had over whether the films have really got peter parker right yet and i do like the toby Maguire version but it's not what i would call a definitive peter parker already with 10 minutes of screen time Tom Holland feels like an absolutely perfect Peter Parker that I can't wait to see more films with as much yeah, as possible. Yeah, like it's like the kind
2: of penniless Ditko version.
3: Yeah, it's, it's you know how, yeah, yeah like oh, I
2: saw him described,
3: and it and it felt like a genuinely good modernising of the traits of the character. Like the circumstances yeah. in which we find him, arguably, is the most dramatic shift away from the classic peter that the movies have done the previous two movies have both had him living with an old-ish aunt may in a house that's you know your classic peter parker house and and that kind of i know kind of personality wise the garfield version is a bit you know he's more of a kind of skater teen dick but um <laughs> like you know being this kid who lives in a small apartment with his aunt um, Is unfeasibly attractive and um, <laughs> and who goes rooting in bins for bits of old technology and, and pieces them together. It's just oh, it's just great. I, did, just... I
2: liked his old like old CRT monitor PC. That was really good fun.
3: It was. It was. A, it was an old Apple Mac, wasn't it? it was yeah. Really yeah, a yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you know, being excited to find a D- not even a Blu-ray player, a DVD player in the trash. <laughs> I think that just that's a very very economic piece of storytelling in terms of this kid's got no money he lives with his aunt and they're a little bit hard up because you know because his uncle's died and he's an orphan and you know that very economically put together the circumstances of why he goes out in a crappy handmade costume and you know yeah
2: Cause i've got a point to make about Ame May actually because you guys both liked her right yeah i okay i liked the performance and i like enjoyed the character But is it Aunt May in any recognisable sense? Because I don't get the impression... I just don't
1: understand. Why is Aunt May always old? If she's his aunt,
0: why...
2: I've got an answer. I've got an answer. Because, like, fundamental to Spider-Man is he has to feel protective enough of his aunt to be like, I can't tell her that I'm Spider-Man because it would ruin her.
1: Would your recently widowed aunt who has already he lost her family and is <laughs> having to Recent... look like after a 16-year-old boy not need that kind of protection anyway?
2: Recently widowed flirting with Tony Stark aunt.
3: <laughs> yeah, you... I'm fine. Okay. absolutely fine with all of it. But James, you've, re- you've read Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think, I mean, aside from the colour of the hair... This is a, an Aunt May far closer to, to ultimate Aunt May, I think, and also that version of Aunt May has flirted with Tony Stark in the past. So,
2: I think to be fair, I think you can have Aunt May who is tough, or you can have Aunt May who is young, maybe. But if you have an Aunt May who is tough and young, well, where, we don't know if she's, where
3: if she's tough yet? We oh come on,
2: really you know. saw you saw the scene though. Like it's just <laughs> where like it breaks that character. I think in a way that harms the the tension between him and between her and peter
1: i I, I really disagree i thought they were fantastic together as well um in the post credit scene as well i thought that was i thought it was great
2: to be fair i haven't seen that because it was left off the critic screening but uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i got shafted <laughs>
1: um i really liked um i li- i mean you said about liking him more in the room you know in that conversation with Tony start than you did Uh, The the action stuff. For me, yeah, yeah, the the Spider-Man in action, we've seen lots of times, but they do use Spider-Man in action really well, and him interacting with other characters, which I think we'll we'll probably get to later in our discussion, that big Avengers fight in the middle. I thought they paired him up with other characters really well in that. But what I liked most in that action scene was the same thing I liked in the bedroom, which was Spider-Man talking while in action and I liked his quipping in the costume. For me that was the quipping that I want which is a kid who is like whoa this is insane. I don't want him being a dick like he is mm. in Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> I, l- I liked the
3: line about I've got one job today and I've really got to impress Mr Stark. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I also... And the metal arm line. <laughs>
1: the scene yeah. that the, the line and this was back in the bedroom but the line that really summed up for me the direction they were taking with that character was the him saying... I've got homework but know it like even as he was saying it knowing how ridiculous it sounded um but that be- it did it sold for me that for this character that was an important thing um just as important as all the other
3: stuff mm-hmm. it was also really nice to see actually Peter Parker rather than Uncle Ben yet again delivering the dialogue that tells the audience the ethos of Spider-Man. I mean, obviously, he didn't say great power, great responsibility, Mm. but he pretty much said it, but not in a way that felt like an Amazing Spider-Man, where it felt like they just... (laughs) My uncle
1: once told my dad... (laughs) Well, what I (laughs) loved about that line and that thing in particular was it informed the rest of the movie, because you had Spider-Man essentially saying to Iron Man, hey, my ideology... Is what Captain America is currently saying, and mm-hmm. Iron Man kind of Robert Downey Jr. looking kind of awkwardly and going, um, "Yeah, well, but you're going to be on my team because I found you." Um, and I, <laughs> I liked that. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a really nice moment for yeah.
3: someone to say. To Tony,
1: hey, look, I'm on the other guy's so <laughs> side.
3: Mean, nope. his, his little interaction with Cap was great as well. And actually, James, you will have missed this in the post-credit scene. But in the post-credit scene, he's got like a bruise on his eye, and mm, he's told oh, yeah, that he got yeah. to a fight with a kid, and he's like, "Where's this kid from Brooklyn? Yeah, so Steve from nice. Brooklyn." <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> like,
2: I do, I do want to point out, given like how much they sold Spider-Man's presence in the film, the fact that they got any thematic relevance out of his appearance. I think is a miracle, because yeah, he's really was, stapled onto this.
1: Yeah, there was a couple of scenes in the fight where I was like, I don't believe that Spider-Man originally was in that scene when but shot. <laughs>
2: there are literally shots in the trailer where they've just unchecked the render Spider-Man box. Well, like t- the <laughs> one where all the characters are running at each other. If you look in the trailer, there's a gap where Spider-Man is
3: in the <laughs> film. Well, there is that, but by the same token, he's the only one fighting um, Falcon and Bucky in that bit. Oh and yeah, no, he's it's pretty not pretty integral thing. to how they take down um, Scott as well. Oh and yeah, just
1: a like... couple the shots here and there that I just felt like it, the the transition didn't feel completely mm. natural.
2: Like um, I, th- I think but... it was scripted as such, but it was a late addition to the script. Like there, there, I'm. Um certain there's a version of this story that doesn't have any Spider-Man in.
1: Yeah. Also, and I mean and that scene where they do pause the movie to go recruit Spider-Man it is notable to move away from Captain America for, for that length of time. T- and Tony it is, And Stark- then when we cut back care. it's, and then the next <laughs> scene is um, Vision and Hawkeye and Scarlet yeah. Witch and then we get to Cap, but then Cap's not really I felt like in the big airport sequence Cap is almost like the least fun character to watch, or the least like he gets less moments than every other character. And it's because those other characters are only really around for that point, so you need to give them the big moments there. But,
2: it doesn't certainly doesn't feel like he's driving that fight in any way, does
1: it? No, and I would say so it ends up being a solid half hour in the middle of the movie where Captain America is sidelined. And that's and that's fine, like I say, I think I would feel very differently about those criticisms if this was a movie just called marvel's civil war mm. uh, mm-hmm. but it just especially watching this trilogy and especially having the affection i had for this trilogy and the way that the character is tracked i i couldn't help just feeling a little bit a little bit disappointed i did to find it on the a other bit hand sorry
2: I was, well just quickly before we move off Spider man i was gonna say i found it a bit strange that tony stark's like i have an idea and they're like what's your idea and it, his idea is i'll get spider-man like to what end
3: well, isn't it just at that point they, they they know that there's going to be a confrontation and they need bodies because they've yeah. lost a couple? Yeah, it the just it doesn't, doesn't seem
2: like a point. good enough reason to go and drag a sort of 16-year-old kid into a giant fight.
3: <laughs> well, but I mean, um, actually, both both that criticism and the, the criticism that, that Joe just made, that what I was going to say in response to Joe's applies to yours as well, which is, you know, it, all right, if you're going to have a sequence where you move away from what's supposed to be the plot of the film. And if you're going to have a sequence that's really tenuous and doesn't actually feel like it needs to be there, it might as well be so that you can go and introduce a note-perfect version of Spider-Man to the you're, cinema. Yeah. Because, like, I, I, any other criticism can just really go out the window as far as I'm concerned, because <laughs> anything that even tenuously justifies that scene being in the film is good enough for me. Uh, I mean, I... I just I, I can't get over how... Even when people had said in advance, oh, you get this really great... So you get a bit more Peter Parker than you would expect. You get this really great introduction to Spider-Man. I did not expect just how good that was going to be. I almost feel... I mean, I feel like we're kind of overselling it now, because all it is is just a kid being a bit nerdy and talking to Tony Stark. But it just... You know, and, and Holland's performance is so, so good, just right from the outset. He just completely sells that character. It's just... And I just want to see more of that character straight away.
1: Shall I do the I told you so about Tom yep. Holland? Please
3: do, yeah. <laughs> because you guys just didn't know who he was, did you? Yeah, exactly. I just didn't know what to expect from him, and just he just looked fairly nondescript and unassuming, although someone said to me on Twitter, surely being a nondescript, unassuming kid is exactly what you want from Peter Parker, but um, he's not nondescript and unassuming in this. He's just, like, as I say, there's a, there's a, a conviction behind him that I didn't expect to see, but yeah. you obviously knew... Uh, more than we did about how good he is. I've just seen him in a few things and thought that he was fantastic almost
1: every time I'd seen him. And also, because he's got that background coming from the stage from being a young Billy Elliot in the West End, that Mm. I can only imagine that when he needs to do the kind of Spidey, more of the Spidey in the costume kind of stuff he's going to have the right kind of moves to do some of the some of the spidery stuff that we were
3: talking about back in our Mm. Amazing Spider-Man podcast that would be (laughs) great to see. anyone who listens to this podcast regularly kind of already knows how much affection all three of us have got for the first and spoilers the second raimi film like so i'm not going to go so far as to say this is the best screen version of spider-man because you know there's so much in those raimi films um and so uh, the homecoming is still going to have to go a decent way to be the best spider-man movie but i suddenly feel quite confident that he could turn out to be the best movie spider-man i
1: kind of wish um and again i think a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this i just feel like after age of Ultron last year and civil war this year i could just do with a bit of a break from these movies intersecting to the degree that they do And Mm. I've got to say, I think Civil War is absolutely... I've seen this, I think this was on Birth, movies' death, described as, like, the pinnacle of long-form superhero storytelling. And in a way, I, I do agree with that. I think, you know, I think Marvel doesn't get the credit it deserves for innovating in cinema the way that it has no one was doing this before and now everyone's trying to do it and (laughs) they are 12 13 films in able to craft a movie like this that is so rewarding because there are 12 movies and it can pause to do the spider-man introduction because there's going to be another 12 movies and (laughs) we know that as audience members and I, I still find it slightly frustrating at, on an individual film basis that yeah I don't think I think it's going to be hard for individual Marvel movies to be held up like by people in 20 years time and go I mean I don't maybe personally agree but people say oh well that you know as good as um The Dark Knight for instance or the original Superman movie that feel like just real self-contained things there are always I think it always holds these movies back individually. Like, none of these Marvel movies are ever going to be nominated for Best Picture in the way that, you know, there was... The, the Oscar rules were changed because The Dark Knight didn't get nominated. Yeah, it, it personally, it kind of holds... It holds it back a little bit for me as well. There's a little bit of fatigue of all of this crossing over. And, again, this comes back to, I wanted a Captain America movie. I wanted a topper to that trilogy. I wanted it all to come full circle. I wanted it to... Um, reference back to Hydra and I wanted uh, lots more stuff in the first movie to kind of thematically run through this film and that's just not what they're doing and that's fine but it makes me look at something like Spider-Man Homecoming and go I almost kind of wish that Tony Stark wasn't going to be in that movie (laughs) and I look at Thor Ragnarok and go Thor's going to be in that and Hulk so that's not going to be a Thor movie and maybe Thor needs the help but hey (laughs) and we've got got two Avengers movies and we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp which is great but then that's two lead characters you've got to focus on and at the moment all of my fingers are crossed that Doctor Strange doesn't have anything not even like Ant-Man with Falcon I just want Doctor Strange to be its
3: own thing um and the same for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I just But it already sounds like it might end up crossing over, so it's like 'cause Guardians is maybe the last truly standalone one. Even all the stuff with the Infinity Stones, it's you know Yeah. It it is the one that you could pick out and show to someone who's never seen a Marvel film before.
1: If you think... if you exclude post credit sequences, Guardians of the Galaxy features entirely new characters. But yeah, so that's that's just what I could I could do with um, let's uh, let's forget doing this film chronologically because we've gone on for 20 minutes about <laughs> Spider-Man and I want to talk about that big fight in the middle of the film anyway we can come back to all the other stuff we'll pick up the threads as we go uh, this, uh, this moves fairly swiftly from the Spider-Man stuff into the teams being recruited guys why are they at the airport fighting to get to a Quinjet why do they all meet there so I didn't understand what orchestrated them all converging on that airport couldn't have fly in
3: anything else? Well, caps. No, well, caps. It's stuck in the country at that point and can't get out. Yeah. yeah. So they go to the airport in order to leave the country. But is there it. only one airport? Well, there's only one airport with a Quinjet in it.
2: <laughs> they could have got on a different plane.
3: Yeah, but could they really? They. I mean, he's pretty much one of the most recognizable people, and he's on the run. He well, needs assuming a plane he can actually get in and fly.
2: <laughs> I mean, assuming he doesn't want to steal a plane, I suppose. But <laughs> there's no guarantee of that
1: it's already a it just criminal again, it just again felt for me like the movie was pausing to do a big fight and the fight is great um it's full of so many fun little moments I don't feel like it fully coalesces into the best action sequence Marvel I've ever done because for me it didn't flow start to finish it, the best action sequence is still the Battle of New York as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. um But the individual little moments in the fight were fantastic, and Mm. all the all the characters felt like they, all the Avengers felt like they had their own. They all had their own mini arcs, at least.
2: Talking about the experience of watching that fight scene, I have to take, um, well, make a complaint rather, with the fact that because these movies are essentially giant merchandising adverts, I got Mm. spoiled on the fight scene particulars by walking to a Lego store, picking up a box and going, oh, the Civil War Lego's out. Oh, Giant Man's in this sequence then, is he?
1: Yeah, I was in the Disney store two months ago and saw Captain America's Civil War pop finals and <laughs> there was a Giant Man. Um, and I'd already, I mean, I'd already heard rumours that Giant Man was in the movie. Um, I mean, I—I I, I... I mean, and Lego, Lego has done stuff before that doesn't actually make it into the films. They had a Hank Pym Ant-Man character as part of the final fight. Okay. Um, for the Ant-Man, like I said, which never actually mm-hmm. happened. It didn't yeah. ruin it for me, though, because when Scott, when Scott Lang does the... Ha, 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 when he <laughs> becomes big, oh, like, I was...
3: my heart was full of joy. Every single moment that Paul Rudd has in the film is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Given that they
2: already blew, like, the Spider-Man surprise, I just felt like I would have liked there to have been something which thrilled me.
1: Well, for me, the the one big surprise was... Zemo and his plan that was hidden. So, for me, um, the red herrings that were dropped as part Mm. of his plan and what he was actually doing, um, I appreciated almost that... There's not really a big spoiler, but just the way that the film drops breadcrumbs that it wants you to follow... Um, and does the and the way that Zemo does that for the characters as well, but they 're all
3: kind of leading you down the wrong path i I really enjoyed the red herring of the the five winter soldiers that was because <laughs> the film makes you think that they 're done with the fighting, they have the big fight, yeah, and then Tony appears to be on or you know is on cap's side. And you think, okay, so the two of them... So the the war is over, and the two of them are going to team up, and they're going to go and fight these five Russian bad guys. And I was kind of just a bit weary. I was just like, do we need to see another boring final act fight (laughs) with, with these villains? And so they walk in, and they've all been shot in the head, and you're like, okay... Yeah, um,
1: I was thrilled. I was honestly so thrilled when <laughs> yeah, when I was like, yeah, me as well. "Oh, that's not the thing." I was I was devastated when he said, "I'm not the only Winter Soldier," and I went, "Oh, Jesus Christ! One is bad enough. I don't want six. <laughs> and the other, and the flashback sequence, I was like, "Oh, so they're all like none of them are even like recognizable actors. They're just going to be nondescript kind of like." Guy Pierce in Iron Man three, and I just didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want more of those kind of explodingy kind of people. Um, and yeah, was thrilled when that wasn't the case. Mm. Um, getting back to the big fight, um, <laughs> Scott Lang. Uh, the, the, the one thing I thought was that as soon as Paul Rudd walks onto the screen, I thought this is the difference between hiring actors and giving them comic material, and hiring a comic actor. And just getting him to deliver lines. When he walks out of the van, he goes, "Captain America!" and kind of grabs his arms and then turns around and goes, "Oh, I recognise you as well. You're great. You're great too." And I was like, "Yes, this is this is why they hired Paul Rudd because he's immediately funnier than." (laughs) everyone around
3: him and these are characters you know that i generally find quite funny Hmm. i Mm -hmm. did think when watching that bit with how he reacts to meeting cap i was just like yeah but this is how i would react if i met paul rudd (laughs) 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 paul rudd is not a mere mortal i
2: just Um, i i liked how he was introduced like laying on the floor of the van asleep
3: oh yeah it's yeah. just when It does all- just make you immediately want the next Ant-Man
1: film, doesn't it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you see, is this not Marvel's biggest trick? Because, you know, you can look at Ant-Man, you can go, all oh, that production trouble. I remember um, back in an early podcast, I think before Ant-Man was even released, James, you, seeing, you saying, I bet Ant-Man <laughs> dies at the start of Civil War. He does something stupid yeah, to kill yeah. him off because they just want to get rid of him. But actually, what they've got is they've got Paul Rudd, as Ant-Man, and yes, probably a quarter of the people who saw Avengers Age of Ultron saw Ant-Man. But now this movie, which I think conservatively will do like a billion probably 1.2 to 1.8 billion worldwide, something like that, all of those people are going to see Paul Rudd as Ant-Man as Giant Man, they're mm-hmm. going to see him steal the hell out of that scene and by the time you get around to Ant-Man and the Wasp, you're going to have a movie that people want to see that character and that's the benefit that they have in this universe. They can afford to have movies that don't gross as much as they would like I or mean, they can it, afford to because they can just do this.
2: It already happened with Captain America, didn't it? Like, the first yeah. one did okay, then Avengers came out and the second one, like, fucking massive.
1: Yeah, and I mean, as... With, I mean, with Spider Man, kind of part of it felt like a trailer. It felt like, <laughs> "Hey, this is the movie you're going to get next year." And I was, and you know, it was a pretty damn great trailer, so that's fine. But I already knew Ant Man. I already liked Ant Man. He turns up. He plays. He has a function in that big fight. He's funny. He has moments. He has, like I say, all of those Avengers feel like they have small arcs. Small ones for the characters that turn up for cameos. Bigger ones for the ones that are part of the team
3: at the start. Um, Apart from War Machine, who doesn't really have an arc. (laughs) He just gets (laughs) just just briefly. I I think this is this is maybe Hawkeye's best film. Oh no, I,
1: Um, I disagree. I really, yeah, he he was awesome with his farm, and I I liked him in Age of Ultron a
3: lot more than ever. I people liked him did. in Age of Ultron, but I I think he's got better as the films have gone on, and I think this was this was while a brief appearance, I think this was a peak for him. Like this was the first time that Hawkeye has turned up in one of the movies, and I've gone, yay, it's Hawkeye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I for I felt so sorry for the character because, you know, he was so badly handled in the MCU for the first couple of films. Um, and I thought, when he says, hey, we haven't met yet, I'm Clint, and Black Panther goes, I don't care. I don't care. And I thought, oh god, <laughs> there is at least half of the audience that are nodding along and going, yep, we're with Black Panther there, nobody cares about Hawkeye. But yeah, but i
3: i, I, I liked I, I liked his dig at Tony when they're in the raft when Tony comes in um, and he's mm-hmm. he's doing the hey it's the futurist he knows what's best for everybody yeah but then maybe that was because from the sound of things I was on their side at that point and you guys weren't so yeah.
1: it, I, do you know what <laughs> it wasn't that I was on a side particularly I think you like I said the way that the the conflict develops and I feel very strongly that it drops the intellectual conflict to establish an emotional one and Tony Stark is a character here who there aren't as many of his quips he seems tired he seems downtrodden he seems consumed with guilt he seems um like as someone dealing with like personal loss with the pepper stuff and I thought Robert Downey Jr. gave a performance that was uh, that blew away anything he'd done to date whereas I felt a little bit like Chris Evans was phoning it in and I know he's not but it just it just felt a little bit not up to the standard that he'd pulled off earlier and I just thought that uh, Iron Man was the most interesting character in this film and, I, and again that might come down to our expectations because you know pre this movie I would have said oh, I'm interested in Cap and if Iron Man's there that's fine um, and I Yeah, and I think that, the, like I say, the intellectual stuff at the start of the movie, I think you can kind of veer either way. But in terms of the emotional pull for the two characters, I think the movie handles the Iron Man stuff better than it does the Captain America stuff. Um, Which, again, I think comes down to me thinking that Winter Soldier is a bit of a void. I mean... (laughs) It helps that
2: Tony Stark expresses his emotions, whereas Steve Rogers spends a lot of his time being <sighs> quite reserved. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even when he's having his most tumultuous revelations, he's just sort of grimacing a bit, <laughs> whereas yeah. Tony is literally jumping at the Winter Soldier, shouting, you killed me, he killed my mom!" or whatever.
1: <laughs> Can we... <laughs> um can we jump out something fairly towards the start of the movie which um was again something that really didn't work for me and seb i feel we're going to clash over this i adore peggy carter yeah as a character and i um so i've just watched those
0: if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers
1: previous two movies, Um, I think she is incredible in that first film. I love her on the TV shows. Um, I think Hayley Atwell is great, and for me, I did get, like, a little pang of grief when we are getting to Peggy's funeral. And again, that oh, totally. means... I was...
3: I was completely upset by that. Yeah, it. but I knew yeah, it was I, coming. I mean, I think it got the desired reaction in me. I was, yeah, so... I was properly upset by that. Yeah, that's not but the it's... thing that we're going to disagree about, though. <laughs> what we're going to disagree <laughs> about
1: is I thought the actual funeral scene itself was horrendous. The the introduction of Sharon Carter with the, the nudging and and like cat going, Oh, Sharon Carter I was like, Really she's kept that secret? of oh, fine, okay, I guess I can deal with that. And then she starts <laughs> delivering a speech and it's Hey, this is a tribute to this character that I presume you all love. And so I would like to use this as an excuse to deliver a little bit of exposition and to <laughs> tell you a story that just happens to Really on the nose reflects the kind of <laughs> ideological dilemma you're having right now, and I just thought, like, it for me. But do you I, not think didn't, I didn't. I didn't buy the... that
3: deliberately, though. I think that's. I don't think. I don't well, think the film was expecting you to say. <laughs> that's no, not the. Carter is not the time. Terrible.
1: To... Yeah, yeah really don't is. do it. Don't do it during the funeral. This is not the time to do it. And also, what is with that creepy relationship? You were in love with her, and that- seventy years ago, when they kiss, I genuinely my face scrunched up, and I went, "No, I don't care. Honestly. I don't care whether that's a comic book thing. It's terrible." <laughs> Emily Van Camp is giving a completely charisma-free performance. She has no chemistry with Chris Evans, and when you compare that to Chris Evans and Haley Atwell together. It just rubbed me up completely the wrong way. I genuinely Joe, have you think you've
3: never heard the song Year Three Thousand by Busted?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was actually I tell you what I was thinking of. It, it was that play from Friends where Joey is an alien oh, God, yeah. and he's like, I'm gonna wanna meet your great granddaughter or whatever yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like for me Oh yeah, the, the reason I think that w- that sequence was in there at all is because someone watched this film and went if we don't make it clear he's into girls, this film will be too gay to put in
1: cinemas.
4: No.
2: <laughs> like, I I genuinely think that's the only reason that Kiss made the cut. Because there's no other reason for it to be there.
1: I hated it. I really, really hated it. And I... I mean, like, and the fact that Sharon Carter then disappears after that in the movie.
3: Like... would well, you remember there's, there's there's, promo art that showed the two sides? Yeah. And had her in like an outfit that she never wears in the film because she doesn't I expected her to show up again and actually be part of one of the fights and she's not um, I mean she is one of probably one of the poorer handled aspects of the film I don't agree with you so much about uh, I, I I like Emily Van Camp in so these she was better in Winter Soldier I think she was terrific in Winter Soldier um, barely in remember this... her in it and I watched it two days ago <laughs> <laughs> um, in this I yeah I mean she's not as good, but I, I like to enough you know, I, I, I like them at least moving on that relationship and, and Steve's development. It was just more, yeah, the sort of it's the fact that in the same film we, you know, we learn that Peggy's finally died and we witness the death of Howard Stark. And this coming shortly after the news <laughs> that there probably won't be a season three of Agent Carter is just, you know, utterly heartbreaking. Um although and also as well, I thought when it comes to the point when they do kill off peggy which had to happen at some point she was an old woman and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah steve yeah. even says in the dialogue you know he assumed when he was revived you know it was a surprise in winter soldier that she was even still alive in the first place mm. because you assumed that she was dead um but i i would have thought that this would have been the perfect time to finally give us closure on the who is peggy's husband yeah I did, <laughs> and they don't so if they're not going to give us closure on it i'm just going to assume it's susa i think that's presumably what we're supposed to to now assume because um, we know that he was in the war because he got an injury. Um, and he was in the Battle of New York.
1: <laughs> was he? No, <laughs> he was, his, playing, playing, was playing a New York City okay. cop. <laughs> right. yeah. Um,
3: so, yeah, I, th- I think we can at least go with our headcanon that it that it's Sousa. Also, it has to be someone American f- by virtue of the fact that, like, well, Sharon is American yeah, they m- American. She moved but there, she settled, <laughs> further generations kept the accent. But, yeah, it was a bit... I mean, you know, I really hope it's not going to be the last we we see of Peggy on I don't think it will, because I'm I'm hoping still that we get more um, Ant-Man-esque scenes of her in the 80s or 90s. Um, And actually, sorry, can I veer onto a completely different topic for a moment? Do it, While Since I've mentioned Ant-Man, Marvel are loving this de-aging CGI technology, aren't they? For for teenage (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. at the start. For
1: Robert Downey Jr.'s take on Ferris Bueller. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it looked a little bit creepy and wrong this time. Um, they, they
3: lingered it, on it a bit too long in close-up. It, it worked with, with Michael Douglas because you didn't quite see it for long enough, but yeah. you had time to stare at it here. I so thought
1: was... that the fact that it was rather than a scene taking place 20 years ago, yeah, actually, true. It actually it was, it, it a, was simulation. Project, a simulation, yeah, that yeah, almost yeah. forgave yeah. the... Crappiness of that, and <laughs> um, that's that's a good point to segue onto Tony's whole emotional arc. And the thing that we were referencing in the spoiler-free section is the is the car crash sequence and the fact that I mean we know explicitly whether it was a newspaper clipping or whatever. We know explicitly from Winter Soldier, um, Arnim Zola's computer program says you know Hydra assassinated or killed your parents in a, uh, killed Tony Stark's parents in a car crash. That's that's all there. We kind of assume that that's that the Winter Soldier. I thought that could have been the inciting incident at the start of this movie. So I was like, oh, that's what we're about to see. We're about to see that the car has got Howard and Howard Stark and Maria Stark in it. Um, but we don't, and it goes on towards the end of the movie. And I mean, and then and then I found it slightly frustrating that the movie then showed that flashback sequence just to remind you that Howard Stark was a part of this. And also, let's introduce his mum, um, Hope Davis as well, which is great casting. Um, but let's introduce this character for the first time so that this will make sense when you see it at the end of the movie. And I was just like, oh, God, well, now there is no doubt that we're eventually seeing it. But why haven't you shown me it already? <laughs> and it does work in the execution right at the end when you get to watch Tony watching it. But yeah, that was frustrating for me. But I just wondered what you felt about this stuff that was driving Tony, the, the, the lack of Pepper and the the woman that comes up and tells the story about her son in Sokovia. Um, for me, it tracked really well with the PTSD Sony we saw in Iron Man 3, with the plagued-by-guilt Tony of Age of Ultron and the, you know, thinking he is going to be responsible for future... You know, disasters that he is going to be responsible for the death of all the rest of the Avengers. For me, they established his position really well. I didn't necessarily agree with him ideologically that there should be these accords and that they should, um, you know, you know, go work for the UN. But I felt like I understood his motivations, and I understood Caps, which was loyalty to his friend and the again tracking through from the winter soldier the you know not trusting this authority organization and not trusting you know the the orders that you're being given in this current world but for me the Tony stuff was all really really great and the explanation of the pepper relationship breaking down in the middle as well worked for me
3: too uh, yeah although I'm, I'm i'm not super happy about that relationship that, breaking
2: down that, to me uh, that just feels like um... contract stuff though i don't like i think yeah you know, it drives the character in this film but i don't think it's a long term like bye bye pepper and jane foster
1: yeah I, I i agree i think pepper will be back in probably infinity war or uh, whenever whenever we see tony stark again i mean we've heard that there might be an iron man 4 now <laughs> i don't <laughs> well, what know, he I said was he'd like like do one better.
2: which he'd he'd do an iron man 4 which is like the unspoken sentiment there is if they can afford me.
1: <laughs> well he's gone from look, I don't know whether I'm gonna appear in these movies to literally, yeah, I'll do Infinity War One, Two, I'll do Civil War or Temporary Spider Man.
2: When he was saying, oh, I'm not gonna do those movies, what he meant was yeah. they're gonna have to give me a contract that guarantees me trillions of dollars.
3: Hmm. And well, presumably he now has that. Well his deal for Civil War I read is something to I mean he's like, I think he got forty million up front and he's got a deal where he gets a massive bonus if it outperforms Winter Soldier at the box office, which it will. Yes. So, um, because it, it's predicated on the notion that it will outperform Winter Soldier because he's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to make a significant amount of money off this, I think. I would
1: love to watch now, all, like like I did with the cat movies, but all of the Tony Stark appearances in order. Like, I'd, I'd love to watch those just to see how his performance has changed and how that character has been shaped because, yeah, I just thought this was... I thought this was another level from Robert Downey Jr., like, reminding us that, yeah, he does the quips and he does the charisma and he has got this character to a T, but he's also a guy who, um, 20 years ago, was, you know, a legit, serious actor who was widely admired before he had his problems and that he has got that quality to bring to a film like this. Um, as well as doing all the other stuff. I bought the complicated emotions of that character. And at the end of the film, when you have Tony watching the video, and even though he knows that Bucky was brainwashed, and even though he can probably, in his head, understand why Steve wouldn't have told him that Hydra was responsible for the death of his parents, he's a character who is just... He's, he's filled with so much negativity and sadness and like i said loss um that you see him blowing his top
3: at that point and there there is still a a a problem that runs through any anything that stark does in these films though and particularly in this one and it's it's an elephant in the room that isn't I, i just don't think has been adequately addressed Which is that Tony Stark created Ultron?
2: Ultron is is surprisingly absent from all the explanation of everything in this film, isn't it? Like considering that one of the main, like in in the comic, like people are at pains to point out, it wasn't the New Warriors who blew up that school; it was a supervillain called Nitro. And Mm. in like analogous to this, is it wasn't the Avengers that trashed the Kova; it was Ultron.
3: It was Ultron, but Ultron was created by Stark, and I don't think. Well, yeah, I think it undermines everything that. That he says. Now in you this see, movie. I think
1: that's what I think that's what it comes back down to. And there is one point at which Tony no, there is one point in this movie where Tony says something about creating Ultron. For me, I if, every time that the, the, the Sokovia was mentioned, and I'm going in my, I, I'm doing my own head logic and going. But hey, they we saw them going out of their way to save every possible individual they could in Ultron. So. Sokovia wasn't really there Oh no but they did create Ultron And so for me it worked For me it was kind of like in my head I was going through that And so again I think think It's not explicit But for me I'm thinking I understand why Tony is more likely To sign up for this Supervision and oversight Because he thinks he
3: needs it because, well, this like, is, this is, is the one, him, it's it's the one time... He should not be the one that they put in charge of things, well, because he's the one who the last time he tried to do that, Ultron got killed. Yeah,
2: it's the one time they should have brought up something from the previous movies and didn't.
1: <laughs> I I really didn't like William Hurt in this, by the way, as well. I didn't well, feel like it was to. anything like his previous Thunderbolt Ross, and also that he was there going... You want me back? Fine, I can collect the paycheck. What do you want me to do? Just, Say these lines? Sure.
3: Yeah, there was there was no good reason for there to be that character at all. For, for it to be um, General Ross. It, it could have just been a random Secretary of State. It could have been, but and then some, you're like, well, it's a good excuse to get William Hurt in the movie, because
1: he's but, William yeah, Hurt. But, but then...
3: You know I mean do they call him Ross in the dialogue of the
1: film? Yes. They call him
4: yeah,
3: Secretary yeah. of State. Yeah. Like, no they yeah. do. They Secretary they Ross, isn't it? Yeah. Ross in I know he is meant to be, but it's just Again, that's so a, irrelevant. That's that,
2: another you know. thing where like choosing General Ross specifically made a lot of sense, but they didn't dwell on it in a way mm, that they yeah. could have. Because mm. like his and, whole um, thing is he hates the Hulk because he's an out of control menace.
1: Yeah. Mm. And
2: like that informs his decisions here, but they they don't
1: really it go get into it. Into them. Well, uh, he 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 offhandedly references. He says Thor and Banner, and yeah, yeah, rather yeah. you know, and you know you've left you two unaccounted for A bombs essentially. Um, mm. Yeah, it was just it, it wasn't it wasn't enough for me. And actually, I probably could have done with that character
3: and the. Everett Ross, Martin Freeman Paris have been. <laughs> amalgamated. They could have been folded into one. What What was the point of Martin Freeman's character? He's He's named after. <laughs> he's a supporting character from Black Panther, yeah, so maybe yeah. he'll become relevant. He's there. not just
2: named but, after. He's exactly the template. if you look at Everett Ross in in the comics, it's so obviously Martin Freeman.
1: You know what? What you said earlier, James, about feeling like the end of the movie setting up the kind of fact that now the Sokovia Accords kind of are a thing. There, well if we need this you know he's head of this joint task force oversight thing i think that (laughs) probably he is he is the base of the organization that enforces the security yeah my impression
2: of him was that he is the new coulson in in that we'll be seeing a lot more of him in movies going forward yes
3: but maybe maybe that's wrong entirely root for him yeah yeah hopefully he'll have he'll have Um, improved his accent by then which okay (laughs) martin freeman in fargo does a faultlessly good minnesotan accent but in this doing a generic american accent is bloody awful Uh, still better than cumberbatch Cumberbatch.
2: (laughs) 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 it is quite good fun Um, that we've got cumberbatch and freeman now in the marvel universe (laughs)
3: yeah um just uh, like one more thing briefly on the on the kind of rights and wrongs of tony and and you know that kind of arc and development i i appreciate that it that it happens at quite an emotional moment but um i think the moment that really any way in which i might have sympathized with tony's perspective and you know i i appreciate the kind of emotion of him being angry about his parents death at that point but he has no right whatsoever to tell captain america that that shield doesn't belong to him Absolutely no right whatsoever. His dad made that, it. Yeah, I. Well, no, well, no. A, a group of people that his dad worked with made it, but it was made for Steve and given to Steve. You know, thirty he, years before ha- Tony was born. Yeah,
1: yeah, but but by Howard, by his dad, who <laughs> he's just found out was killed by the guy yeah. that his buddy is. But been- Howard has been would, protecting. I, I, lo- I loved Tony Stark in that final action sequence. And I loved... I, do- I would like to go back and compare the film to the trailer. The moment in the trailer where Captain America says, he's my friend, and Tony says, so was I. In the trailer, for me, that read as Tony being, like, hurt and genuinely, like, deflated that this guy that he considered a friend was... Mm. choosing the other guy over them. him. Yeah. Whereas in the film, when he says, so was I, it felt to me like he kind of spits it out like, look, you're not my friend anymore. Mm. Like, it was it was an angry, bitter, twisted Tony Stark at that point who was just consumed by... He, he'd been consumed by revenge. And mm. that Zemo's plan had worked to perfection on... Tony more than anyone. And I think I appreciated him as the flawed hero of this, that I mean they're both flawed to an extent because Cap is driven by loyalty rather than logic when it comes to Bucky a lot of the time, even though I think, you know, he is right. It'd be nice if these heroes shared a bit more information in this film sometimes, or actually had a conversation, or investigated claims, like, oh, Bucky was seen nearby. Okay, I'm Black Panther and I have bought into that entirely. I'm Iron Man, I've bought into that entirely. I'm Steve and I'm... Because he's my mate, I'm going to ask him. But everyone else just buys it. <laughs> <laughs> that was annoying to me.
3: But yeah, I thought I thought Tony in that last scene, he was incredible. And since since you've touched on it, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, he is, it, it's great performance and, and and I buy the character motivation. I just, at that point, I found myself really hating Tony <laughs> <laughs> at that point. Um, but no, I mean, and, and that kind of gets to the nub of what i think is really interesting about this film at the very end which is um villain wins Mm -hmm. other than the fact that he doesn't get to kill himself um and he and he's he's preemptively deleted that message he's probably going to regret that um zemo wins zemo achieves exactly what he sets out to achieve which is
1: fantastic and the fact that he doesn't die Thank God that Marvel have kept a villain around. They, they so rarely thank do thank God that it. they've kept Daniel Brewer already. Yeah, Daniel uh, Bruhl. I mean, maybe it's just they've got to all, the end of all these other movies and gone, oh, Lee Pace, no. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Chris <laughs> Eccleston, I mean, great actor, but no, it didn't work. What about... Uh, so Frank Grillo you're okay we'll bring you back for a scene but then no and then it's just like all of these villains who haven't worked I mean you know I don't particularly I would like Sam Rockwell to come back at some point please <laughs> um, but most of these villains that haven't worked and maybe the Brule's performance they just realised we we've, we've nailed this we've woven him into the movie the performance is great he gets to kind of win at the end Let's keep him around and, yeah,
3: bring and him back. Bring him back at any, you know, the first opportunity you can. It's a it's a really difficult thing to do with a villain to make their motivations complete... You, you can empathise with their motivations. Their motivations are completely understandable, even though you know that they're wrong. So, in his case, like, the fact that he takes um, his anger over the death of his wife and child and goes on to kill a load of people as a result of it, is wrong. You know, he is the villain, mm-hmm. he is wrong to do that. By the same token, him doing that is an understandable reaction. Like, not an understandable reaction for an ordinary person, but the film establishes already that he's not an ordinary mm-hmm. person. Um, you know, he it's actually like a, has he's a... He's mo-
1: basically Sovokian, Sokovian uh, Mossad, isn't
3: he? Yeah. As I say, you know, he's, he's wrong to do that. He's a villain. He kills people and he's wrong. But there is enough of a, a nub of, well, if you were him you might do that if you were him with his background and his personality (laughs) if that happened to you Mm. you might do that it's not completely irrational and out of nowhere and I really like the way it's planted because the first time you hear him listening to that message I wondered a little bit what that was and I obviously you kind of think it's happening there and then and it's like or maybe he's just got this perfectly ordinary home life while he's going off being a crazy villain I thought that was going to be a quite nice touch and then later on in the film when it didn't really come up again and you had the thing with the murdered um, guy I thought maybe he had that guy's phone and it was a message the real psychiatrist when it actually becomes apparent what it's there for yeah you're just like that's brilliant yeah the fact it's really, he listens to it every so often to drive him on it's really economical isn't it? it like yeah you
2: don't need the full explanation you, you just instantly get what it is yeah. just from like hearing it twice
3: i mean if anything yeah it was slightly disappointing to get the full explanation because it was yeah you, you didn't really need that that bit of exposition although i don't want to lose that because that's a really great scene with him having that and that's there's really good stuff with Black Panther in the film, but most of I think most of the good stuff with Black Panther is the action stuff. I mean, we'll, we'll probably get yeah. on to talk, talking about him in a bit. As a character, that scene was where he landed as a character, um, and just that entire scene with with Bruhl and, and Bozeman. It was, was this movie's Vision and Ultron talk at the side of the lake. I thought, mm-hmm. like the kind of the real stand out capper mm-hmm. to to this big. You know, And I really did think he was going to successfully kill himself, and it was a, a really nice swerve that he didn't. Mm.
2: Well, the, specifically that the panther stopped him.
3: Yes, Like, yeah.
2: that, that as a character beat in itself was really interesting. Because yeah. that, like, you spend the whole film going, oh, this guy's, like, a murderer. Like, he just wants to kill people, and then he stops him, and he's like, no, justice. Like, that's why he's a hero.
1: Let's dig mm. back to what this podcast is purportedly about, which is getting to the comics behind the movies. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm am I right in assuming that this Zemo doesn't really seem anything like the one on the page?
2: <laughs> There's I mean, almost no up. resemblance. <laughs> it like to the extent that I wonder why they even bothered using the name.
3: Um red herring yeah. basically. It's I think it's I to suppose. make you think that he's, seems, like well, a, firstly, seems like a waste of a good character to me. Well, yeah, because it, you, you might think they could properly use Baron Zemo at some point. No, I think they wanted you to think, oh, the villain is going to have some kind of connection to Captain America from the war, or he's going to secretly be the Red Skull. Yeah, that that that
1: was my theory. (laughs)
3: Um, You know, there's all kinds of... It just basically led you in a completely different direction. And I think if they'd given him a kind of non-discretion... If they'd called him, say, John Harrison or something, (laughs) um, then, you know... It might have been worse. You might have been guessing even longer. Like, who is he
1: really? Who is he really? Oh, he's Zemo.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame to waste the name, but I, I can't honestly say I would ever expect... They would really use the real Baron Zemo at any point, so I don't think it's too much of a waste.
1: Marvel seems completely willing to do that though, because I know, like, when seeing that they were using Madame Mask in Agent Carter, and I thought I was quite surprised because I just read Hawkeye, which Mm. Madame Mask is fantastic in, and I just started reading Iron Man, who again she's a villain in that, and obviously um, you know, maybe certain writers like her in the comics, but she felt to me like a really great villain and like, why would you put her on this TV show that you you know, that's set forty years in the past. You know, we saw in Age of Ultron how Baron von Strucker is teased in a post-credit sequence at the end of Winter Soldier and then <laughs> is dead by the end of the first act. Similarly, Frank Grillo I thought was probably gonna be a henchman of Daniel Bruhl in this movie. I thought Crossbones would probably be the The threat that keeps coming back. He was... His involvement, I felt, was pointing towards Captain America being assassinated at the end of this movie. Again, that's another red herring everyone Uh,
3: mm -hmm. expected.
1: I mean, I I was convinced that Cap was dying in this movie um, pre it coming out. I thought they were going to take a lot of the chess pieces off the board during Phase 3. And I still think to an extent that could happen, because this movie ends with... 90% 90% of our heroes as fugitives, I think. Um there's there's maybe 3 or 4 of them who aren't fugitives from what the 12 main characters in the movie.
2: Like Vision's fine. Vision's fine, fine.
1: Iron Man's fine. War Machine's fine. No, no. one knows who Spider-Man <laughs> no, he's is. He's not
2: <laughs> He's not really fine.
1: <laughs>
3: well, no. Uh, he's
2: he's in legally fine territory, but I don't yeah. think he's going to be war machining a lot.
3: He, he, no, I mean and it felt that final scene, I think I don't know, there was an element of looking at Don Cheadle and looking at Don Cheadle's age and thinking, yeah, he's not going to be in that suit again.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's easy to resolve if they won him back, but at the
3: same time, oh, yeah, totally, this yeah. is
2: this yeah. would be a, a fine way to get rid of him for good.
3: Are you glad that it didn't end with Cap the way you expected? Because I, I think it should be fairly obvious that I am glad that it didn't go down that way, but are you disappointed that they didn't take that dramatic per-
2: Personally, Personally, I'm glad they didn't kill a character off because it would have been so like dramatically unsatisfying, especially to kill off Captain America, safe in the knowledge that he's going to be back in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, I wonder whether they whether they do fully plan to kill characters in Infinity War, and that they want the stakes to be very high. Then, yeah, and that uh, I, having said that, I still think Thor doesn't make it through
3: Thor Ragnarok, for example. I, he does kind of feel like the most disposable. Well, the part thing of is, the Thor, like group at the moment, as a
2: mythological character as well, Thor's the easiest to bring back without yes. it seeming yeah. like a cheat. So mm. I can see him him going in Ragnarok. Yeah,
1: I also think we're on a collision course with, and um, personally, for this reason, I think we. After arguing against this 20 minutes earlier, I think it's crucial that Paul Bettany is back for at least one movie before Infinity War, because we are on a collision course with that in, with that stone being ripped from his forehead, and mm-hmm. I just feel like that character needs a couple more beats
3: before that point. So while, while, while we're on him then, I mean, well, him and Wanda, really, what do you sort of make of them in this? Because I kind of... I liked... The Wonder material, while there's not really enough of it, but at least there's some. Um, I don't know what you... Well, Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic, first of all. I know know your feelings about Elizabeth Olsen, but...
1: (laughs) Um, No, but I I really like her. I like the scenes with Vision. Um, I like that relationship that they're building up. And um, I also really liked the, the, the Hawkeye relationship, again, paying off storytelling earlier on in... 12 movie franchise um what i found the most fascinating about scarlet witch is i think there is the worry that they're going to go down the route of her being you know like we we talked about this in a previous podcast being driven to Mm -hmm. being the kind of you know the unstable woman who loses it but what i like is that she is a mutant like she is treated in this movie like the mutants are in x-men and obviously she has that comic book heritage of being more mutant than... Well, she is a mutant in the comics, I think. Um, and it seemed to me like Marvel, without saying the word mutant, were establishing that kind of character in their universe. This kind of slightly more ostracized, ostracised, slightly more feared, slightly more unstable, um, and a member of the team who wasn't considered a hero by... The outside world and also many of those around her
2: yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't like that they've gone with the sort of crazy woman angle for scarlet witch and when they showed her in her cell with like i don't remember if she had a straight jacket on but she, she certainly did. yeah yeah so mm-hmm. putting like her being the only one in a straight jacket because you know she's crazy like well i was I not entirely was to
3: stop her using her Well, uh, yeah but... everyone else in there their powers relate to their equipment but, like, hand-
2: handcuffs could have done that it just but that's it it f- sat badly with me.
3: The flip side for me there is
1: I am worried that they have that in that character's future, but I am also more intrigued that it's not... We never see the character being like that or needing to be treated just like that, that. everyone thinks that. Yeah, that's the yeah. way that the other characters tend to see her.
3: I, I feel like they're maybe going to swerve it. I think it's going to be another thing where they're going to play with the expectations and you will have that expectation hanging over. And I... I think i have enough faith in them to potentially swerve that
1: she's i mean she and vision also are so clearly the most powered people in that universe They, they do a good job in the fight scene which they can only really do because the fight is between characters who like each other they it's it's nicely done in the bit where hawkeye and um
3: black widow are fighting but the, which man, man, also as well, Black Widow is so underserved by this film. But she gets a couple of great moments, yeah. and that's one of them. The, the, <laughs> otherwise, you could barely you could take her out of the film without much effect. Well, I, I think you could do that with quite a few
1: characters. Actually, um, will I'd quite like to ask you about that in regards to Black Panther. Um, but yeah, I liked I liked in the in the big sequence where it's not like in Batman. So in Batman and Superman, they are literally. Sm- kicking seven shades of shit out of each other in that action sequence. This was characters, they didn't want to fight. One had a goal that they had to get to, the other one was just trying to stop Mm. them from doing it. Spider-Man was literally, his mission was to stay out of the way and just try and like hamper people rather than hurt them. Mm. And so it does work well that you can pair off these characters and how you had mostly scarlet witch and vision as the two powered characters who really didn't get involved with the other people because
3: if they wanted to hurt the other people, you know, they could they could kill them fairly routinely. It's actually quite impressive that there's a, you know, you, you can say to people, oh, at the center of this film and even the trailers show, you know, the shot with them running towards one another, but knowing what we knew about the characters up to this point you do you do wonder going in, how do we get to this point where they are going to be literally on two sides, literally deciding to have a fight with one another at that moment? That just seems so contrived and a lot of it being against what the characters are. I mean, you know, the, the fight between Cap and Tony at the end of the film is completely different and is a fight that happens for a reason, but the whole team's fighting does seem... Going in seemed a bit arbitrary, and I was quite impressed that no, there is a reason for them to be literally on opposing sides, and yeah, as you say, to be fighting in a way not because they want to hurt each other, but because they they have a one team has a goal, the other team is trying to stop that goal. You mm. know, it's yeah. So, what did you guys think of Black Panther, it, both in action
1: and as a character? And like I said as a character integral to this movie. I did wonder whether he could be entirely lifted out of it and not much would change.
2: I mean, I think it feels like he's in there as more of a trailer for his movie than an integral part of this one. But at the same time, I was more interested in the Black Panther in this movie than I've ever been in <laughs> yeah. on the page. So at the same time, good work, I guess.
3: I mean, he he suffers twofold from the the addition of Spider-Man. The first reason is because, you know, yeah, his presence in this film is largely to set up a subsequent film with him in, but unfortunately you've also got Spider-Man being set up for a subsequent film, and Spider-Man's pretty amazing and everyone's going to go, great, I'm looking forward to the Spider-Man film, and they might forget that there's supposed to be a Black Panther film. The other problem is that actually... As, as an action character and, and as a superhero, and this is, again, because I don't really know too much about the Black Panther in the comics, so I don't know if this is what he's like in the comics, but he adds a style of movement and fighting and getting around, um, which isn't really... which hasn't been there before in these does films. Does he have superpowers? Is, yeah, um,
2: he does, from eating a heart-shaped herb that grows in Wakanda, which allows him to commune <laughs> with the panther
1: god. There you and, go. no, what's um, the and, and what are those powers... He's
3: Sprite Is it just like strength and agility, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and, and
3: hardiness, <laughs>
2: like healing, like just a, it's a general like. It's, it's
3: a generic Captain America set. Yeah, of powers, exactly.
2: Basically, yeah. Because well, I, I was really, I was really Hans bothered senses. when they're
1: having the chase scene through the tunnel,
3: like, and they're all running faster than cars. Well,
1: well, <laughs> well, more that they're all running as fast as Cap. Like when one of Cap's powers, one of the first ones that we see, like. Shown in the First Avenger is that he can run really fast now. And there's the scene at the start of the Winter Soldier where he is the, it's the on your left running around the lake past Falcon, and then suddenly Bucky, who got experiments on the bit, he? he's got a bionic yeah, but... arm. Does he have bionic legs as well? Why is he so fast? <laughs> yeah, no, just but, but Soviet but, super soldier Bucky's
3: enhanced, stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got these, he's had he's had a version of the super soldier. Yeah. So. <laughs> Didn't like it. I didn't like that they were all as fast as him. (laughs) Just, just, just me. But, but the thing with Black Panther is that he's got this thing of you know. I mean, they actually make him surprisingly cat-like, and I thought it Mm. worked really well. He's kind of climbing up walls and jumping around, which is great. But who else climbs up (laughs) walls and jumps around in an athletic and lithe way? So it's like he's already had his thunder. I don't know. I I felt like the. I
1: liked. I tell you what, I really liked. I liked the feet on his suit. That they weren't like shoes; that they were kind of like molded around his feet almost. And he did feel like he had this brilliant range of movement and flexi- movement and flexibility um, whilst being in this bulletproof costume. I thought that I thought, in terms of showing off his fighting style, it was cool. And I think Chadwick Boseman is good casting. against someone I've seen in a few other things. Liked him in those other things. Um, felt especially in the last kind of five minutes, and in his post-credit scene, seemed like um, seemed like they'd reached a point with that character that was a good jumping-off point for a movie, and it felt like a character with a particular view on the world, a particularly un- a unique view on the world, and a platform for that character to to. Uh, launch from. At the same time, I wondered whether that couldn't have been done in the first ten minutes of his own movie. Um, and, and I do I do like him here. He just felt particularly inessential and it bugged me how he... This is a character that I'm supposedly going to want to root for moving forward. How he just assumed that Bucky was responsible for this thing and then went to try and kill him.
2: This is sort of... is something that suffers in that people watching the movie saw it and thought... Well, we know that wasn't Bucky, whereas all the characters took it as red, and it was, like, <laughs> I think the film should have been a bit more ambiguous towards the viewers in that sense, and made it seem like it was possible.
1: That he'd already been gotten to, that his programming was still there.
2: Yeah. Cause it was never it... a
1: question, was it?
2: Yeah, as it was, you were just going. Well, there wasn't really space in the timeline for this to have happened.
1: Mm. You, Seb, you spoke about liking Sebastian Stan more in this movie than previously. What What did you think about about his arc through this movie, and and about him as the motivating factor for Steve?
3: I just think I think you got a bit more of a sense of what they didn't get a chance to go into in the winter soldier because in the winter soldier it was it was so late on that that you know that he wasn't just the kind of programmed soldier um i liked the slight exploration we got of him being so damaged by what had happened and this idea that he's now essentially got two personalities inside him you know i th- I, th- I just thought there there's a quite kind of haunted quality to the character now where you know, you've got this guy who... Like, he knows everything that he's done and is quite kind of broken by it and is kind of basically, well, you know, yeah, look, I, I, you might tell me that it wasn't me in control, but I know that I did this and, and this informs how I react to things now. At the same time as you've got his old mate standing there telling him, no, look, it's fine, you didn't do it, I know that you're a good guy. And he's kind of like, well, am I a good guy? Yeah. I don't even know that I'm a good guy, really. Um, I... I I quite like that. I think that, and I think with his with his array of slightly moody looking expressions and not much else, um, I think Stan kind of sold that quite well.
1: I do actually. I like him as one of the toys that you throw into the sandpit and go. Is let's see how fun it is seeing him fight against different people. His bionic arm is something that works well in in a. a degree you know real array of fights I thought they did that it was a smart thing to team him up with Sam so much of the movie Mm. in that they're two guys that are on the same side but actually that's the thing where Sam doesn't really agree with Steve is
3: on Bucky oh man the bit in the car by the way yes I mean totally uncharacteristic for everything else Bucky has done in the last two films but (laughs) that was great it was great but it was also at the same point as
1: I was aggressively shaking my head and going no no no, why are they kissing? No, that's funny, but no. Um, so, so that was that was an issue for me. Um, one little, one really small moment I did enjoy with the Winter Soldier was when he was fighting Black Widow in in the scene where he's escaping from the facility and he starts strangling her and as he as he's strangling her black widow says something like well you could at least recognize me yeah. um, which <laughs> again lovely when you've just watched the film the wind soldier and she's spoken about how he shot he assassinated someone else by shooting through her stomach and she's got the bullet wound there and i thought that was just a you know a really nice hint you know a nice little thing for uh, you know regular viewers of these movies and also another nice nod to black widow's past and this was the first time where i just went oh god yeah give us a black widow movie come on <laughs> it could be flashback i almost like yeah this this long form storytelling is great but we had a we had a captain america movie that was set 70 years before all the other movies that we've seen and you know, could we have a, a movie in Black Widow's past set ten, twenty years before, or just her now at the end of this movie?
2: Do you just want cgi D age Scarlett Johansson for an entire film? Is that what I you're just, saying?
1: No, I just, I just think that I, I kind of like. I think it's been kind of it's become a shorthand to like a shorthand for a stick to beat Marvel with, which is why haven't we got this Black Widow movie yet? and i think that is fair in a 12 movie franchise where there hasn't been a female protagonist yet and you've got someone fantastic there who can open a movie we know Scarlett Johansson can open a movie so let's you know why not do it um but p- prior to this i've kind of i've kind of been like hey, it's fine but now when she was fading into the background a bit in this movie i kind of did think like Oh come on. Yeah, just let's let's do it. Let's let's make her the lead of a film.
2: She faded into the background in this one where like in the second Captain America film she was so important yes. to sort of the like not not even just the narrative, like Steve's character. That you kind of... Like, she gets a couple of moments of being his counsel in this film.
3: I mean, if anything, you mm. talking before about how the second film shouldn't have been called Winter Soldier. Should have been called Captain yeah. America and Black Widow.
2: Although, again, like, I feel as though Nick Fury was missing from this film as well. Because, like, if any film ever needed <laughs> a guy who... <laughs>
1: I d- <laughs> who... honestly didn't... Even think that he wasn't there until you just mentioned it.
2: Well, it just... It kind of seems like his whole thing was negotiating with the government, with governments to get what he wants. Like, if they ever needed him
1: around, it's now and he's nowhere to be seen. Do you know what I'm just thinking? Given the Black Widow is in this universe, and given that she has the past that she has, and given that she has the relationship with both Cap and Tony... I wonder whether a more interesting version of this movie is where she is in the bookie role, almost, you know? And kind of, like, centering a film around her in that way.
2: Yeah, I can see.
1: You know, there's been this stuff before about how, you know, the the reveals about her will be even more devastating, you know, because of the stuff that she'd done in her past, and, you know, we saw hints of that in... Age of Ultron. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know there was criticism of the way she was handled in Age of Ultron. I thought she was really fascinating in that film. And I think the platonic friendship that she has with Steve Rogers was one of the... That was, for me, one of the best things about Winter Soldier was that those two characters paired off, and for me, never ever felt like there was a romantic angle to it. In fact, mm-hmm. like when they do kiss on the elevator to distract someone, it feels completely sexless. It's just, it's too. It's, <laughs> it's
2: too quite much. quite an achievement considering considering <laughs> it's, it it's two, Chris yeah. Evans
1: and Scarlett Hansen, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think we should probably start to wrap this conversation up. One of the things. I wanted to mention before we do is the ending to the movie which feels like a good point to, to end our discussion on um, like I said, so they, they're all presumably fugitives at that point, most of them I think we're to assume that the Accords are still a thing but that no, maybe not even Tony and his gang of people that are left with him are still on board with actually following them is is that the way you read it as well? Uh, it's
2: kind of hard, isn't it? Because Tony Stark like blows off General Ross, but he doesn't specifically say I'm um, not. He doesn't quit. on board with the Accords anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Like I like I say, I think moving forward, the Avengers, such that they still exist, will still be governed by the Accords.
1: So that would be um, it. Would be Iron Man, Vision, Spider Man. <laughs> Spider Man and maybe Black Widow, maybe. But I, I got the feeling that maybe she had.
2: Yeah, and like potentially Which some is... kind of remote-controlled war machine or something. Maybe if they want to open the Spider Man movie with a functioning Avengers team, they've got a way to cobble it together. Um, although, like the comics, I think there are going to be two Avengers teams now. One, one unofficial one official and that maybe they'll clash on that basis
3: i mean there was definitely obviously the you know the thing of steve's lot are going to be a secret avengers team and but i i think it's more likely that there won't be a functioning avengers as such if anything i think it's going to be a position where tony is supposed to be in charge of a functioning avengers but doesn't have one and so has to instead covertly get in touch with steve to get steve's avengers to intervene in situations.
2: It, does, it makes me wonder, actually, how how is Ant-Man going to play in a world where Ant-Man is a fugitive who is a member of uh, Steve Rogers' Avengers team?
1: <laughs> Ant-Man's next movie occurs between the Infinity War movies.
2: Oh, d- okay. Interesting. Yeah,
1: which will be, which so will that's be interesting. A, yeah, okay, that's that, a lot
2: further away than yeah, I thought. Yeah.
1: I actually felt that I wanted the movie to end a couple of minutes earlier, um, I didn't feel like I needed Steve's letter to Tony, and I didn't feel like I needed Steve going to save the rest of the Avengers from the. I, I did. I feel like I would have suicidal
3: pl- if I hadn't had those. <laughs> those I,
1: <lifts laughs> I wanted it end. to. I wanted it to end on that dark No, I, I wanted it to end on basically uh, Zemo saying. Oh, oh, you didn't even win, didn't I? Um, because, I mean, I loved his line about, I want to see an empire fall. And he did. He saw the Avengers empire fall. He brought that about. And I almost kind of feel like a montage of just looking at where the characters were, maybe showing um, Tony trying to help him, um, trying to help War Machine walk again, or showing... Um, uh, showing bucky being frozen again and showing black widow kind of retreating into the shadows and not uh, maybe uh, and showing some of the characters still locked up in the raft and not not the moment of oh maybe there is some reconciliation between iron man and captain america and maybe there is uh, and i and captain america is about to save all the rest of the characters from captivity i i wanted the film to end on that it seems like the villain lost, but actually, he's just reminded you he's won, and we see that he did. Um, that's I, that's how I wanted it to end. But... I
2: kind to be fair, I think kind of how you wanted it, wanted it to end is incompatible with its status as mass media franchise. <laughs> like Possibly. there are kids who are going to watch this movie. <laughs> you don't want them to leave crying.
1: Yeah, I just want. I, I wanted it. I, I wanted it underlined that the villain won, and I I didn't get that. <laughs> What do you think about each of the post credit sequences? We'll finally work our way towards the very end. Why does the Black Panther have a big old statue or rock that's shaped like a panther? That seems silly. Because well, it's the I was really protecting figure of the entire nation. But it was the way that the camera panned to it is like dun, dun, dun. Right. Oh, okay.
2: I was really hoping we'd get like a really awesome shot of like the futuristic Wakandan society mm. out of his window and we just got a big rock. I I did, like, oh he's the black pattern but no wait we already knew that
1: i did like the kind of i, I liked the costume that t'challa was wearing in that scene uh, uh contrasted which was kind of like a it was african inspired but it kind of felt a little bit western and modern and and then you had that contrast with all the really high you know high tech tech in the in the facility um Yeah, I I wonder, as a tease for a future movie, whether seeing a bit more of Wakanda. But I'm intrigued by what Black Panther is, because as much as you say, like, Black Panther's here as almost like a trailer for his own movie, I still don't feel like I have any idea what that movie looks like.
2: No, um, I I mean, I kind of do, but it just involves boring Black Panther villains and Uh, generic threats to Wakanda, maybe.
1: Ulysses Claw.
2: I I hope not, because I hate claws so...
1: Like, but
2: Andy yeah, Serkis was great! <laughs> yeah, but a villain made of living sound, that's not really a Black Panther villain, is it? I don't is know. It? I guess tie him into Vibranium, I suppose, but <laughs> nah.
1: I've no idea. Nope. Okay, second post-credit sequence, which, kind of, <laughs> I'll, don't I'll leave I'll the movie before the second post-credit sequence plays. Um, so, it's... I mean, we get the fun stuff... So, yeah, James, you didn't see this. But we get the fun stuff with... Um, him saying he got in a fight with Steve from Brooklyn which is fun um and we get more Aunt May and I think that relationship is uh yeah like I said solid earlier um Seb the big reveal of that scene is the like the holog- the hologrammatic laser spider, spider symbol that's what it's officially called the spider what's that? Symbol. All right. Well, what what is it? What's it? What's it do? What's its well, function? Why was was I supposed to care? You because I've read
3: Starsky's Howard the Duck. It's so that he can shine his face on people.
1: <laughs> That's what
3: it <laughs> uses. I mean, I think in so much as it's been used in the comics, which isn't very often, it was a little device that was on his belt in the very early Lee Ditko stuff, and it was basically a way of him announcing his presence in order to intimidate criminals. Um, what purpose does right. it serve here? I don't know. All it really seemed to
1: it looked almost like. um... Like, it had
3: apps revolving around it. It was obviously a piece of Stark tech that Stark had given him. Yes. I think all it really did was... I mean, we already... The problem was, we'd already had Stark give Spider-Man his costume with his, you know... um, Although, I say with his gadgets, but, you know, the web shooters are his. I think all it really did was it reaffirmed he's still on Stark's side. Stark is still essentially sponsoring him, you know. Um, Because I guess you, you might have wondered if Spider-Man still had that connection to Stark at the end of the film because whether he ideologically turned out to disagree with it, I think all it really did was... I mean, really, it was just there as a fun scene to go, oh, hey, remember Spider-Man, because he disappeared quite a while previously. There's going to be a Spider-Man movie. Here's a reminder of how awesome he is. Here's a reminder of the fact that Tony Stark will still be connected in some way. Because I think the whole look of it was obviously supposed to make you go, oh, that's Stark tech. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, And I've got to say, it did make me more... Like, at the end of this movie, if you said, okay, um, Spider-Man, he's not going to be back for Infinity War, he's not going to do any more Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff in the immediate future, I wouldn't be that bothered, because I felt that the film did a good enough job of establishing him as part of this universe, and I could buy if now he retreated into his individual movies um, without... In setting again like i 'm happy for him to do it, but what what this film really sold me on was Tom Holland as Peter Parker in spider man movies, and what I really want to see next is him in his own movie um,
3: I agree with you to an extent in that he doesn 't necessarily really need to on the other hand it 's hard to deny that one of the biggest thrills that this movie offered wasn 't just here 's a really good version of spider man but it was here is finally after all of these years here is spider-man in a functioning marvel universe with other yeah. heroes here is spider-man <laughs> actually having conversations with tony stark and captain america you know it's actually i can't really overstate what a what a step that is as as a fan of spider-man for him to actually take his his rightful place so yeah i don't feel that his stories necessarily need to hugely be part of the ongoing mcu story but I would like for his solo movies to consistently remind us that he's in that same universe. Um,
1: well, guys, I think I think we've talked Civil War uh, to death. So I think the the last thing to do is for you to recommend me some comics based on the movie.
2: The villain in this movie was ostensibly Baron Zemo, mm-hmm. but obviously they took it. Uh, what I would call a bunch of liberties with the character. I mean, there are certain things about him that are legitimately Baron Zemo-esque, which is that he's a like planner and strategist rather than a superpowered character, and he has a, budget, a grudge against Captain America and Bucky to an extent. So it's not like he's entirely unrecognisable, but at the same time, I think Zemo is one of... Certainly in the last couple of decades, he's been one of the better Captain America villains... Um, so I think you should read a comic that has him as a villain in. And that's why my choice of recommendation is, the collection is called Captain America No Escape, and it collects Captain America 606 to 610. And it's it's by Ed Brubaker, and it's set during the period where Bucky had taken over as Captain America and Steve Rogers is dead.
1: Oh, right, okay. So, so is this
2: post-Civil War? Oh, it's well after Civil War. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't remember if they give you this backstory in the comic. I imagine they will, but in in the distant past, when they killed off Bucky as Captain America's sidekick, it was established that it was uh, Baron Zemo's father who did it, like the kind of World War II Baron Zemo. And so him and Bucky obviously have this kind of interesting relationship uh, that I think is the kind of thing that I was hoping for more of in this film. Or like not in this film specifically. It was the kind of thing I was hoping for more of when they announced Baron Zemo, and we just didn't get it. So I think if the, if any comic is going to convince you that Baron Zemo is an interesting character, it is this
1: this story? Cool. Okay. Um, so a bit of Captain America with Bucky. Um, Seb, what have you got for me?
3: Um, yeah. So I mean in case it wasn't clear I don't think either of us are particularly keen on, on the comic of Civil War so I, I don't think we thought there was
2: <laughs> I actually like it quite a lot oh, really? but I, I knew Joe was reading okay. yeah well I don't I don't hate yeah, it yeah. like some people I don't think it's deficient in any way
1: yes yeah, so I have read it we should for us to I've read some of Civil War I was hoping to read all of it before this movie um, and didn't get around to it in the end because I have loads of comics to read every fortnight because this podcast so I'm still hoping to read it but it didn't really make sense
3: Yeah, so I I wasn't sure there was a huge amount to be gained from just recommending it as the obvious suggestion for for this. So I thought I'd go looking instead for what I thought was a really good comic about superheroes with opposing uh, ideologies coming together and and fighting each other, because that's what happens in this. And then something occurred to me, which was... um, You may recall on our Batman Batman v Superman episode, uh, for the pitch, I suggested an adaptation of a comic called Kingdom Come, and it occurred to me that actually it would have been a good recommendation for Batman v Superman. Um, Despite the fact that it's about Batman and Superman, I think it's actually a pretty good recommendation for Civil War because it's a comic about two iconic superheroes um, leading factions with opposing ideologies and ultimately having a great big fight with one another. Um, So for those who didn't hear the Batman v Superman episode, because maybe you didn't get that far because you hadn't seen Batman v Superman and you didn't want to listen to the spoiler section... um, I'll just briefly summarise. This
1: is just like what the Russo brothers have to do. Said
3: they have to <laughs> try and figure out who's seen what and cater to everybody. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a DC series from 1996 by Mark Wade with um, very striking painted artwork by Alex Ross. Um, it's set in a future where. Um, humans have basically become a problem and have come to kind of dominate the world and uh, um, Superman has been retired for quite a while and out of the public eye a tragedy happens that basically draws Superman out of retirement but puts him in opposition to um, Batman's way of doing things and also to the kind of new breed of younger more violent heroes so there's actually kind of three factions but they sort of get subsumed together and um, it ends in a in a big ding dong battle royale but it's it's fantastic as a uh, as a character piece based around DC um, it's great and I, I can see parallels between it and this movie not not just because this movie is based on Civil War but um, I think what it does with the characters and how it presents their, their sides of the argument is, is quite interesting I will say it's got a lot of characters in it I, you know, a lot of them are just there as Easter eggs but you may feel overwhelmed by the sheer number of DC characters that you haven't heard of who show up in it but just roll with it, because there's a lot of characters who are created for the comic, and a lot of characters who, if you were a DC fanboy, you might be expected to know as a background reference. So just go with it. Just just assume that you don't know who most of these people are. It will give you the important stuff about the main characters. So don't, don't fret if you're like, who the hell's this character they've just referred to? <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, I think it's a really, really great read. Um, I'd be really interested to see what you make of it.
1: Excellent. Okay, so it's... Lots more reading for me, uh, which um, I think I'm probably going to have to turn around pretty fast again because of the way uh, the way the dates are falling with um, superhero movies that have been released this summer. Um, so you probably won't have to wait for too long to hear what um, I think about those comics. Um, but we'll move on now to our final section now, which is the pitch. And... Um, I mean, watching this film, but also the cancellation or the removal from its date of Inhumans from Marvel's Phase Three, got me thinking. If you could add one more movie to Marvel's Phase Three slate, what would it be? Um, so, I mean, this this could be a sequel to a to a previous movie. It could be a new movie. It could be a, a character that we've already seen getting their own movie, or it could be in a, the addition of a character we haven't seen in the MCU at all so far. Um so Seb, I'll come to you first. What what movie would you like to see added
3: to Marvel's Phase 3? Um I really want to cheat by just saying Black Widow, but I I I appreciate that, that would be the, the obvious <laughs> cheat option so I'm not going to say it. Um and also,
1: after recent weeks, the constant accusations that James just panders to win my vote, <laughs> you couldn't go down that route yourself. Um, it's a, you're going to say an Agent
3: Carter movie now, aren't you? <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to suggest a Captain Britain movie. I, I think it's about time oh. that we introduced Captain Britain to the MCU um, to put a fresh perspective on things. Um, I would like to see um, a, a Captain Britain movie based in part around the Captain Britain and MI-13 comics, so specifically um, setting up Captain Britain as part of a superhero team that's put together as a as a branch of the, the British Secret Services. Um, I think it could be directed by Matthew Vaughan. Um, who you know has already shown that he's very good at directing superhero movies and would bring the right sensibilities for a, a superhero movie set in London. Um, I did have a think about casting as well, and I, I feel like this is an area where you can do your usual workshopping thing if you, if you don't like my suggestions and you've got better suggestions, but <laughs> because you kind of need... I mean, ideally he'd be blonde, he doesn't have to be, but he does need to be a sort of square-jawed, heroic, blonde, and maybe a bit posh. And to be honest, if you basically picture... Chris Evans as Captain America, but with a, a posh English accent, then that's basically kind of what Brian Braddock should look like. Um, I sort of went through a few possible suggestions. I don't know if any of them are ideal, and I don't know if you'll like any of them, but the best I could come up with were potentially Charlie Hunnam. Um, I think he's kind of got the look, but I'm not sure he's got the the acting chops for it. Um,
1: or the accents. <laughs> don't ask him to do anything that's not Geordie. <laughs> um,
3: I actually... Again I'm not totally certain but I actually really like um Sam Claflin in the Hunger Games films and I think he could pull off the sort of um you know the 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 square jaw charm side of it um or going slightly more left field but with an actor that I know a lot of people like and he's not quite got the right look but I think would be a slightly different direction I think um personality wise he'd be better suited would be um Richard Armitage so those are my three potential suggestions but if you've got any better British actors between the age of about 25 and 35 to 40 who could, who could be that kind of rock like hero, then, then I'm all ears. But I think a Matthew Vaughan, Captain Britain film is where I want to go.
1: I mean, I've already seen Richard Armitage, um, you know, swallow some cyanide whilst in Captain America's arms. So I can't get on board <laughs> with that. I've, yeah. I think the casting needs work, Seb, but um, yeah, yeah, how about how about you mix it up? What about
3: a John Boyega captain? Britain? Do you know? I nearly suggested that. I really but we've, did. But we <laughs> all... suggested him for so exactly. many things. It's like it feels like he's 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 a, a, a go to option. But I did. I, I was looking at list of actors, and then I thought, Dodge, you know what? Mix it up and do a do a John Boyega, and have him be actually someone who's like from South London, who's pulled into a British version of the Super Soldier program, and rather than being a posh aristocrat, actually is a you know. Is a is just is just a bloke instead.
1: Uh, oh, I've got it! Daniel Kaluuya, he's awesome. You can look him up; he's great. He was in Sicario. Uh, recently, I'll, I'll look him up. But if he's also in Kick Ass, agree with you. He was in Kick Ass yeah. too. He's very cool. Riz Ahmed. What about Riz Ahmed? I'm just trying to think <laughs> of British actors that I like. Anyone? I don't know. Blonde, square-jawed. British version of Captain America doesn't really sell it for me. I want, I want this to be something different. About all right, him. John Boyega, then. Oh. Okay, <laughs> James, what have you got for me? Phase Phase Three Marvel movie.
2: This is surprisingly relevant, actually, um, because my choice is a Thunderbolts movie. And now, I'm guessing you probably haven't heard... Oh, you might have heard of the Thunderbolts, actually, because you've read some of Standoff, haven't you?
1: I've heard of them. I am vaguely aware of them. And you've also heard of the Suicide Squad, which they're
3: basically just a rip-off of, so...
2: Well, (laughs) nah, come on. The Thunderbolts were introduced as a bunch of villains who were pretending to be heroes. Um, And they were led by Baron Zemo, who was pretending to be uh, the sort of pseudo-wartime hero Citizen V. And basically, at a time when the Avengers were presumed dead, they became like the premier super team uh, to gain the trust of the public and basically destroy the establishment from within. Um, And I think, especially in the wake of uh, Captain America Civil War, you've got a status quo where the Avengers have essentially been disbanded as unreliable. And you could introduce this kind of all new team who are actually uh, untrustworthy villains who are duping the public. Uh, I think if you're going to do a, a, a Thunderbolts movie, now's the time to do it. Um, I, in fact, I almost recommended Thunderbolts because, uh, as because they're led by Baron Zemo, he's like a major character in them, uh, and like that initial run of comics is probably some of the best things marvel put out in the 90s um and i'm hoping i can find an excuse for you to read them in the future but (laughs) if nothing else on a conceptual level it's very different from anything else that marvel have done so far and it's something that could only work in the in the shared universe so it's it's a shame they haven't got enough established villains to to do what they did in the comics and populate it with half-recognisable characters. But I still think you could do it.
1: Now, I'm conflicted here, because I do like that idea, James. But you're right, there aren't many kind of villains in the MCU right now to, like, fill it up with. And also, while you were giving your pitch, I was still in my brain thinking about who to cast as Captain Britain. (laughs) I got to Will <laughs> Will Poulter. Oh, I boy, thought no, that'd yeah, be yeah, cool. Yeah. Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell. What about that? I just feel I don't want to I don't want another standard square jawed British uh, like a British version of Cats America. Matthew Lewis. What about I him? He's from I Leeds, so I'm on his side.
3: It, Matthew Lewis. He he was in in my head for it actually, but then I thought he, he I didn't think he was necessarily heroic looking enough, but if you want to go in an interesting direction I could see
1: Matthew Lewis. And, you know, if in doubt, just cast someone out of Game of Thrones, I guess. Um, so I'm basically, just because I'm having fun trying to think of who you'd cast, I'm going to have to go with Seb, <laughs> <laughs> with Captain Britain. I think it might be an absolute disaster in Marvel's Space 3. But, you know, let's, let's get, give some international flavour. Uh,
3: and by international, I mean British, where I'm from.
1: Is there a Captain Yorkshire?
2: Um there is a captain midlands There is a
3: captain midlands in captain britain MI13 yeah he's he's an old brummy guy Um I'm sure okay well I, I would be happy for so, Brian braddock to be from Yorkshire if if it swings the vote No what well, I I think I think
1: maybe we go we do go like Daniel Collier as captain britain but we introduce captain yorkshire and that's Matt Lewis I think that's a (laughs) lad. Okay, um, so Seb is the winner of the pitch this week. Uh, God knows how this. Sorry,
2: for a change,
1: (laughs) has Seb won quite a few in a row here?
2: I was really sure that Thunderbolts one was going to work. It's such a good comic.
1: Yeah, but well, I haven't read it, which is an issue. And also, Yeah. yeah, it's the it's the thing about Marvel has killed off too many villains. Um, I would I, I would love that concept, but let's save it for Phase Four when they've kept a few more alive. <laughs> um, and I think, guys, should we just skip the plugs at the end of the podcast this week and let people <laughs> let people leave?
2: I think we probably should. Although, let's thank Chris Lang for uh, yeah. bumping up his uh, Patreon pledge and pushing us over the hundred dollar a month mark, which means we're going to be recording a commentary for a movie at some point we haven't decided when or yeah, what we, we still yeah, it's to discuss in, it
3: but but patreon backers will get a say in in what, whether whether that's voting from a list that we come up with or suggesting we haven't decided yet yeah
1: it's yeah. in the works
3: and patreon backers will be
1: contacted um in the in the near future to figure out exactly what we're going to do Um, but yeah that is it for this week's podcast so thank you very much for listening and we will see you next or we'll see you this week goodbye
2: goodbye